and we're on. Welcome back to another podcast from Nobody Cares About Dad. You were laughing because you thought I was going to do it wrong. <laughs> I preempted it. <laughs> oh, no, I seen you going. I thought, oh, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Yeah. <laughs> no, I got it right this time. Welcome back to another podcast from Nobody Cares About Dad. This week, as ever, joined by my co host, AD. Hey. How you doing, mate? I'm, I'm melting. I'm melting. I know we've just had a conversation about the heat and it's not hot for most people. Yeah. It's minging. It's honking. Mm. Word of the week, honking. There you go. Honking, honking. Yeah. My, we I've been in the I've been in the beer garden all day today. For, yeah, because, <laughs> there's no air conditioning in my office whatsoever. So right, like, yeah. as soon as I walked in the door, I was just wet. Yeah. So I was like, nah, I've got to get out of here. Mate, I, was, I picked extra up today. He finished school today um, for summer. Literally ran to the gates, grabbed him, ran to the car, <laughs> windows up, aircon on. Yeah. He was looking at me like, what, what are we doing? What's happened? <laughs> but, <laughs> look, me, mate. look, speaking of the heat, today yeah. we're heading over to Arizona. Uh, today's guest is Ira Hughes. Ira Hughes coming all the way in from Arizona. How you doing, mate? Good, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, appreciate appreciate you coming on. Like we were having just a conversation before the podcast started, and he was sort of saying the the weather that we're crying about is uh, a nice a nice day for you. I, I will say there there is an aspect that we didn't talk about, which is humidity. In Arizona, we often lack that humidity component. So when it is a hundred and twenty two degrees Fahrenheit on the hottest day ever, or the fifty C, that you know the conversion rate, it's it's there's like no humidity. It's like three or 4% humidity on those days. So, but like lately it's been around a hundred, like 104, but humidity has been at 35%, which we cry about and Texas would be so happy about, right? Cause they're like 78 to 90%. And so it's uh, it's all relative to what you're used to. My wife being born and raised in Arizona just hates the humidity. So she just leaves it in her mind. But uh, I was was born in Kansas city. So uh, I was a little bit more used to it. No, we feel like, no, I'm going to say it feels like about 150% humidity today, but it's I just double checked it's 70%. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's hot for 70% and that temperature for sure, man, no doubt. Yeah. And in a true British style, we'll always complain. Well, I was going to say, we wouldn't be a British-based podcast if we weren't complaining about the weather. No. That's, that's if it was awesome. raining, it would be too wet. <laughs> Snowing, it's too cold. Sunny, yeah. it's too hot. You can't win. At least yeah. if it's warm, our cold beer always makes more sense. Yeah. It's, it's the one it's the one thing that you have it's the one thing you have to go to when you, if you're right. if you're a Brit at a networking event, the weather. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always about the weather too with the desert, no doubt. I can always up, up somebody, right? They're like, it's negative 35 here in Chicago. I was like, well, it's kind of hot on the deck. I'm going to have to go inside because I'm warm right now. Or, you know, the opposite where they're just like, oh, it's a hot day today. And I'm like, you don't know hot. Ira, <laughs> right, what's, uh, what's, what's the situation on the ground in Arizona with COVID? What's um, it been like? It's actually been pretty good. We've handled it really well. Uh, we, we did have a little surge in cases early on. And it feel, I feel like we got control under that after, you know, some of the stay at home orders were done. And then we really start getting back to work and getting back to everything going on. And, and since then, I think we were one of the first states to lift the, the mask mandates, even in our schools. And we really haven't seen any uptick in regards to, um, you know, increase in, in cases with that mandate moved at all. Uh, so that's been really good. And, you know, our schools are back in session for in-person 
uh, starting in a couple of weeks when they go back into school. And so everything's been great. It, it you know, I hate to say it feels normal. Uh, it, you know, it's a uh, cautiously optimistic. That's probably the best way to put it that <laughs> we're, we're turning that corner. I, I had a long winter of uh, unemployment due to, uh, to COVID reasons. So definitely, uh, definitely felt some of that heat along the way. So I'm excited for things to get back to normal. We had our, we had our July the 4th the other day with um, what we, we was called Freedom Day. <laughs> it was uh, like all the restrictions lifted, no masks, yes. everybody back from home. And it was, the, the nightclubs have all been shut. I mean, I didn't go, but I'm married and I'm not allowed out. But like <laughs> most people were, were out 12 o'clock Sunday night at the nightclubs because that's when the restrictions yeah, were Monday morning. Okay. So yeah, it was It's just good fun. to see faces again. I mean, yeah. you, you don't realize how much you miss seeing people's faces. It's and then you, all of a sudden yeah. you see her, wow. It's when you forget you're not wearing a mask and you still try and say something about somebody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you forget you, you, you could hide behind your mask before. That's funny. True, oh, that I've is been, a good point. I've been, I've been amazed, actually, how many people are still actually wearing their masks. Like, yeah. uh, I, I still put mine on. Shocked. Do you? Which is weird, yeah. But it's just so Pussy. normal. Shut up. It's just so normal just to put it on as I walk into a shop. I went in today and uh, I was with one of my friends and he turned around to me. I was thinking, what are you staring at? Have I got something on my face? And he was like, yeah, your mask. Get it off. I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> so I forgot I've gone the other way. Yeah. Now I forgot to take it off, not put it on. So Yeah, auto- autopilot, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. We, we, def- we definitely had that funny in-between, right, where you didn't have to wear a mask, especially if you were vaccinated. And I... Because I travel for work, it's one of the first things I wanted to do because I don't want to go get COVID, you know, in, in, you know, in hopes that it prevents it, right? And I didn't want to go get COVID and then go see my mom and get her sick, even though she's been vaccinated. It's just, I wanted to just reduce every possibility possible, yeah. right? And if I was going to be traveling, I wanted to make sure I was doing the best for my family coming home with, you know, the best possible results. So maybe I still get it and have it, but at least with this, I had a chance. So I got vaccinated as soon as my age group was allowed. Um, yeah. And, and, but then, you know, they drop the mandate pretty quickly around having to wear a mask after you're vaccinated. But how do you know that you're vaccinated? Right. And so you go in a store yeah. and they're still wearing masks and you're like, well, I don't have to wear one, but I kind of just put <laughs> one on because you don't want to be that, that guy. Right. You don't want to be that yeah. asshole. It's just Everyone like, just no! Everyone just watches ex- ex- you. Think. Exactly. Right. And now it's kind of almost gone the opposite way. What you're just saying, where you see someone wear a mask, but I also read there's some, uh, there's some like people that enjoyed the whole idea of uh, not being seen. Right. The, uh, the ability to be hidden in a way, right? Yeah. Of the mask. And they almost don't want to take the mask off because they like that situation. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine for people in the public eye, the whole wearing a mask has been like uh, great for, yeah. for a lot of people. Cause yeah. you've been able to just walk down the street. Yeah. I've not been followed anymore by paparazzi or anything. Like <laughs> I've been able to roam free. It's been good. <laughs> uh, so Ira, you're, your story was obviously I, I read your message and obviously your profile and what you were sort of saying about what happened to you is obviously it's a heartbreaking story. I obviously shared it with with AD. Uh, so look, really just keen to just explore that and just find out how what happened, how you dealt with it, if you if you have dealt with it. Um, yeah, just just more uh, your mindset on it. It's just yeah, yeah, incredible to even to be talking like as silly as it sounds just to be able to to almost yeah. again that word normal like right. you know, live a normal life kind of speaking yeah. to everyday 
but we're complaining about the weather and then you put it in context and you think what what are we doing yeah so yeah unbelievable but i think again not not to normalize your your story i would be but you know the whole point of us starting this podcast was for people for men especially to share mm -hmm. stories and uh, and you know unfortunately you aren't the only person that has been through what you have and you know but obviously at the time it makes people feel like it's the end of the world and, mm. and i think if, if if the whole point was if we got guys to be able to share their stories and hear other people talk about what happened to them how they dealt with it and if that helps somebody deal with it in a slightly different way who might be struggling with it then that's what we set this this up to do to be to be honest yeah, that's that's why I thought we you know have a great conversation in regards to that you know and so you know diving a little bit into that right so uh, in 2015 well it goes back even farther but the you know to get into the gist of it in 2015 my uh, three year old daughter at the time got diagnosed with stage four cancer so even that hurts to say today right so yeah. it might be an emotional emotional call but sure. um, I wear them all on the outside man but but I think you're right you know talking about these things is super important because other people need to realize that you can live through this stuff, right? And there is life after you get through all those pieces. Um, you definitely have to process a lot of the weights, I guess, if you will, in the situation as you're working your way through the journey. But that journey comes with um, a lot of stuff on the other side of it. And you have to make sure that you're enjoying those pieces along the way. So, you know, to kind of go into the story a little bit more, I was actually reading back through um, the, the blog that I had somewhat created during uh, the journey. Um, I, I created a, a website and just really wrote my heart out every day and every step along the way and talked about the different things that were going on from um, the first diagnosis on. And I just kept up to date. Um, There's a lot of people that uh, I, I really didn't do Facebook much. I think this really drove me to be on Facebook, to be honest, um, sure. because people wanted updates and people want to be connected. And I'm like, I don't want to be connected with all these people and seeing all my stuff. You know, I, you know, I don't want to be, you know, there's, there's so much, um, so much notes showing who you are on Facebook and I'm, I'm not that guy. Uh, I'm the guy that, that shares my soul with anybody, um, whether they want to hear it or not. And, uh, maybe, maybe it'll work out for them. Uh, but you know, I, I think that there's, I think that there's good in that. Right. And I like to hear other people's stories because I think we benefit from that. So, you know, kind of going into it again. Um, my daughter was actually, Audrey was born with uh spine bifida and a, um, a tethered spinal cord at birth. So when she came out, the doctor just did their everyday quick check and said, um, you know, there's one in 10,000 chance that this little dimple is something. We just need to get in a quick ultrasound. You want to walk over to us and uh, through the hallway, do the kids section of the hospital and we'll do a quick ultrasound, make sure everything's cool and we'll be good. And uh, from day one, nothing ever was good. So we found out that she had a tethered spinal cord as he suspected. And it turned out she had spina bifida as well. So we met with a surgeon when she was three days old and he said, Hey, I'm going to need to go in and fix this my bifida. And then I'm also going to see what I can't do about this uh, tethered spinal cord and detaching it from the wall of her spinal cavity. So what that really means is like she has a, a spinal bifida occulta, which is closed and that it doesn't like the spinal cord is not coming out of the body, which it sometimes does weird stuff, man. And then it's attached. Hers attached itself to the wall of the spinal column or the, like the casing that our spinal cord sits in. So if it's untreated, when you bend over, it will continually like stretch. And eventually you'll start to lose some um, usability as you grow older. Usually they find that around 12 or 14 if they don't detect it in early stages like this. So we found out day four that she would have to be nine pounds and nine weeks old for a surgery. 
and uh, that would be surgery number one. Uh, okay. So they dove in. Um, they said, you know, it should be a routine repair. No worries. We'll get in there. Super awesome doc. Like one of the most renowned docs in the Southwest. He's you know just a great dude, um, has a great backstory and was very confident he could get everything done. He needed to get done. He had a, a guy in there with him. Again, super awesome surgeon. They tag team it and they were going to take care of everything. And with every surgery we had, the outcome was never normal. Um, when she came out, they were able to fix the spinal bifida. They were able to fix um, that tethered spinal cord, but they said that her spinal cord was a different color than they'd ever seen before, and that it had this mass in it. And they took some samples, and it was benign, so no cancer. Um, but they didn't know what it was, and they're just going to have to watch it because if they took it, they would definitely take her, her functionality, and they didn't feel the risk was worth taking. And uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So. Yeah you know, three years forward and, uh, we're going through all the stuff we've, she's doing good. She's acting like every normal day kid. She's three years old and she starts to regress in some potty training stuff. And we're like, mm, that's weird. You know, we do think she's not paying attention. Right. So we do what every parent does. We discipline them. And, uh, we're like, Hey, you need to go to the bathroom. And then eventually she gets frustrated and she's like, listen, I don't know what you, what you guys want from me. You know, as a three-year-old Ken, but you know, <laughs> you get to what she's saying and you're like, okay, let's go see the doc. And, uh, we, we did scans and instantly saw that she had a tumor. And uh, then we did scans with uh, contrast and we're 90% sure that she had cancer. Um, so then we scheduled our next surgery. And so I'd say within a week, um, two weeks, I, I want to say they went in and uh, went to remove the tumor, expecting to be an everyday typical type of tumor uh, that they see on a regular basis within spinal cords. And uh, unfortunately, that, that wasn't what it was. Um, so they thought they were going to be able to use a laser, be able to remove everything, no worries at all. Uh, it turned out that it was... Um, Rhabdomyosarcoma, uh, which is a pretty aggressive cancer. That being said, 80% of kids that catch it early actually survive uh, five plus years. Uh, unfortunately, with cancer, you're only looking at five-year survival rates in most cases. And then everything past that's just great. So we were diagnosed um, and then found out we were only the fourth kid to have, have, have rhabdomyosarcoma that they know of that actually originated within the spinal cord, which was most likely a result of that unknown tissue they saw when they did the first surgery right yeah um so that had metastasized and had spread to the brain in the upper spinal cord jesus christ i mean it's, it goes without saying doesn't it just cancer's just shit it's just Total horrible shit. horrible thing even even in the the age we live in it's still just as horrible now as it was you know, years and years and years ago. And it's just well, the thing it does to the body is just, yep. and the body's an amazing thing. The body is an incredible piece of really? kit, but this, no better way. This fucking cancer just, ugh, man, yeah, it's, just, just, it's rough. And then we don't have any new treatments either. Right. So that's the other reason to talk about this type of stuff. You know, she's getting 30 to 40 year old treatments for, yeah. for, you know, Cancers that we've been fighting for how long? Like, it's yeah. not that we just found out about this stuff, right? And so they're doing a great job with, you know, different cancers. Um, you know, like, there's a number of cancers that they've done a really good job on where the survival rates, survival rates, not just five-year, out, you know, outlooks are really good, like 98 plus yeah. percent. And, you know, they there's obviously cases with leukemia that, that don't go the right way. But when it comes to the treatment of leukemia, man, they've come leaps and bounds ahead. And because the bulk of the kids that get cancer have one of those blood cancers, right? Um, you know, and, and it's, it's so hard because the treatment for leukemia often gives 
solid state cancer later on, solid tumor cancer later on. And the treatment of tumors often gives leukemia later on because we don't have any good medicines. No. And it's, it's, it's such a fight, right? Only 4% of the U.S. government funding for cancer research a year goes to pediatric cancer. The rest of it's going towards adults. And it takes years and years for that information to trickle down to the kids because they're so worried about using it within them, right? Mm. Um, so it's, it's definitely a... Yeah, only 4% right now goes towards that, right? And one in 285 kids in the world gets cancer. Jeez, I don't know if you know that statistic. I mean, that's a rough statistic if you really yeah. think about it. You know, you, you don't feel like you know that many people and oh, you're in the world of it. And unfortunately, I know way too many. Um, yeah. But, you know, that being said, it's it's just something that I hope that they get better at. I, and then the, the beautiful part is I'm a technologist as well, right? I, I love all technology. And I like to read books about what's coming. And there's a couple of awesome books. Um, the Future's Faster Than You Think is one that talks about how there's this real emergence right now of all of these different texts, right? There's this, this exponential wave and in, in, uh, of learning and in, in ways that we're addressing biomedicine and you know quantum computing and all these other texts that all converging at the same time and going to create this tsunami of shift, this exponential shift in technology that I, I truly believe is going to revolutionize how we do all this stuff. I mean, mRNA in itself is a, a great example of uh, a, a technological leap that we took yeah. because of of, uh, of Corona, right? And and the yeah. ability to take that leap, forced leap, to get to where we need to get to, and then all the things that MNR is already predictively been maybe even able to solve, and then you add the quantum computing and AI and ML, and man, things are going to get really exciting. And, and I think that you know we, every day we see more stuff come out about, you know, we've identified one common protein in all cancers. It was announced in like the last week. Like that stuff is what's exciting to me for sure. Yeah. It is, it's amazing that what you can like it's, it's obviously hard in the moment but when you cast your mind you know 10 years 20 years down the line you right. you kind of got to live with that hope that that there, there's got to be something because you take covid for instance i mean completely different but yeah yeah sure in a nutshell you you know we were forced to create a vaccine so over here in the uk they were forced to create a vaccine and they did it it was just out of nowhere it just it just came out. There was like a vaccine. So then everyone started getting this vaccine. Then all of a sudden it mutated. So there was another vaccine which actually took care of that mutation and any other mutation since. And you think, wow, we, we, we've been forced into doing that. And you kind of, you're in the back, you're in the background a lot of the time, not knowing what people are working on, not knowing how hard these guys are working, mm -hmm. how much effort they are putting in, you know, to, to finding these these, um, you know, preventative measures, these cures, things to prolong everything. And it, should, it is an exciting future for all the technology coming out, but it doesn't detract from the past. You know, it's, it doesn't. it's that you, you can be happy about, okay, yeah, soon in five, 10 years, we could have this medicine. But then is that frustration of, well, why the fuck wasn't that ready five years ago, 10 years ago? Like, it's it's all a numbers doing? game though, right? I, I think that everything's a numbers game and we have to look at it that way. And, you know, I think through my journey, I've, I've had to, you know, ask myself those questions, right? So, you know, they're like, the perfect example is, you know, rhabdomyosarcoma is one of the rare cancers. It's it's not a common cancer, right? One in 285 kids get cancer. One in 1,000 of those kids get rhabdomyosarcoma. And then four of those kids ever had it in the spinal cord, right? So the doctor gave us a diagnosis day one and said, hey, um, there's been four cases that I can find and just so you know, nobody survived a year. Wow. Wow. So that's what we get to start with. And then 
you know, then they, then they start breaking down. Okay. They sit us down. We have a team of doctors and nurses in the room, the oncology suite. And, uh, they're like, okay, here's all of the medicines that we printed out the informational sheets for that we're going to give your daughter starting, uh, in a week. Um, and then you look at what they do and then you look at the side effects and you're like, okay, so four of the eight medicines we're going to give my daughter will probably give her cancer because she has cancer. Dig it. Okay. Let's do it. Right. Like you're like, shit, what are you going to say? Yeah. You know, you're not going to say no. Um, and that, that being said, we actually did say no uh, when it came to radiation and uh, they had to, uh, they had to find a workarounds, which, you know, if, if you're ever in a medical situation where you're a medical advocate for your family, for your parents, for your kids, you know, never let the doctor tell you what to do. Push, push hard. You know, for us, you know, we, we went through all the chemos, we, we looked at each other and said, what are you going to do? You know, let's, let's, let's say yes. Let's do our research. Let's follow it through. Let's get started. You know, it's a, it's an aggressive cancer. Um, let's get after it as quick as we can. We found it early. Let's, let's punish it as much as we can. And, uh, and so we went at it. Right. And then the, the doctor comes in and he goes, yeah, she's going to need radiation too to her spinal cord and her brain. And that's going to cause her to probably be deaf and blind and uh, stunted growth. It's like, um, so what's the outlook without radiation? Because I'm not going to make my daughter be deaf and blind and maybe not able to walk just so that she can live another year. Yeah. Like there's some quality of life stuff that you really have to consider and you have to peel back all those layers and figure out, you know, what's, what's okay. And that, that wasn't, that wasn't okay with us. And uh, we, we sat back and we said, no. And uh, the doctor came back and he was pissed, man. (laughs) And uh, he's like, you know, we're going to do it. And I'm like, "Mm, over my dead damn body, you're going to do it. Right. Like we're going to find another way. Let's, it's a big world, man. Can we can we maybe do some research and figure out if there's something else? Yeah. And uh, luckily, they were connected with MD Anderson, and uh, we reached out to the doc there, and he's like, "Well, what about proton?" And I'm like, "Tell me more about proton." And so, proton therapy is this really amazing radiation that it's really pinpointed and allows for them to only dig in the radiation as far as you need it to, and it stops. It's like using a shotgun using that versus using a laser. Right. And so the the original method was we're going to blast her with a shotgun and say what happens. Like, no. Uh, The second method was we're going to find the areas that we need to irradiate and we're going to laser focus just those areas and then the spinal cord. And, you know, there's there's a huge IQ drop that comes with if she's able to survive through all of that. What's that going to look like? And, you know, we never we never made a decision of is she going to survive? It's when she survives. What does that look like? Right. And I mean to give away the ending, she doesn't. Right. And so, but through the whole way, we were always focused on, okay, if we give her this care, what is the short term and what is the long term? And we yeah. really have to plan for that long term. Otherwise, what's the point in doing it? You know, it's it, it's it to keep her to live for us or is it to give her a life worth living? Yeah. And those are the things we had to look at. Yeah. I had, um, I, I was going to say a similar situation, but it's, it's not the same, but it's, so, so my, we, we lost our, our mum three years ago to multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know about multiple sclerosis, but you know, it's one of the, in the worst form, you know, you lose all function. They, mm-hmm. they, so, so they, they, they think that you have all brain function, but your body just shuts down completely. So she couldn't move. She couldn't eat on her own. Trapped in your own body. Yeah, but she's tra- yeah trapped in her own body, and it the the the, the nurses would because she would often she would often choke, and they would come to us and say, um, you know, do you want us to resuscitate her? And at first, I was I was like, hundred percent, yeah, like, of course I do. 
And then it sort of got to the point where we were like, but quali- what, what's her quality of life? Like, right. you know, would, would she want to be in that position? And I had to, we had to in the end say, no, like do, do, do not resuscitate if she does go. Unfortunately, she she did, but um... that's where that empathy has to come in, right? You have to have that 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 deep empathy. I, but she me. Of course, what would they want in the situation? But like, if if it was me, like, would I want to live that way? And it, that's a hard decision, man. You know, that's that's it's hard to make that call, right? And, yeah. and even have to to make that call in the end to quit treating. I think that was probably one of the hardest calls for us. And I bought it, bought it to the end, yeah. right? That was a hard one. Gotcha. I mean, Ira, how long? So, how long from diagnosis to 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 the to the yeah the yeah. yeah so uh, two and a half years ish. Um, she was diagnosed uh-huh. um like May twenty eighth of twenty fifteen, uh, and she passed on September twenty ninth of uh, seventeen. So, yeah. um, but that being said, like it was it was a ride too, right? Like there was lots of highs along the way. So, you know. It, I especially like the message and then like to, to convey the message that it's, it's a shitty situation, but your attitude doesn't have to be shitty towards it. Right. Like there's a lot of things looking back on that. I loved about the situation that it, it forced our family to live every moment, right. Just to, to dig in and just really dig out every moment we had of every situation that we got along the way. Um, her diagnosis went for, or her, her treatment went for a while, right? The, the onset was 54 weeks to 80 weeks of chemo, depending on what things looked like uh, on the original assessment, right? And, she, and this was like high aggressive chemos. It, it blasted her white cells. We were inpatient for every holiday for probably the first year. We spent Christmas in the, holiday, in the hospital, 4th of July in the hospital, you know, freaking even like Easter. Like we just, we did not miss a holiday. Like we pretty much knew every um, special services that would come to like brighten up the oncology holiday weekends. They'd be like, Oh, you're here again. I'm like, didn't you expect us? Like <laughs> we try to make sure we're here. And they brought us great food and there's amazing people along the way. And I will say, man, anyone that's willing to go into pediatric oncology, whether it's the doctors or the nurses or the, the, the caregivers, so anybody that's willing to be a part of that world are very special people. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, phenomenal special people to be able to choose to go work with these kids and get so emotionally attached yeah, and knowing I'll, that these outcomes are yeah. not always great outcomes i was gonna say like yeah to, to deal with to cope with that in and yeah yeah nothing, yeah. But, ad, nothing but admiration but mm. for, for those guys for you and your family as well I oh, it's, I appreciate that. it's just that but, and, but we didn't choose the thing yeah. is, we didn't choose, man. We, we had to yeah. be there. Like, and, and it goes, even the COVID workers people, right? All the people that worked thousands of hours during the COVID, and I already had that insight and that love and that empathy for them. <laughs> so when I saw that, I knew, you know, the, the, the care that they're going in and the people that become nurses and the people that become doctors, you know, most of them, you know, some of it obviously do it for a God complex, but I appreciate them because they're awesome. Yeah. But, you know, there's those other people, those caregivers, those nurses that just come in cool. day in, day out. They it's give the chemo, they give the help, they clean up the puke, they clean up the poop. And they do it with a smile and they love on your family along the way. And they weren't there just for my daughter. You know, there was, there was a time when, so, you know, th- th- again, we're all over on the story, but, you know, getting through to, we did the first rounds of chemo. We went through the first protocol. We did our radiation. We had to go to Houston for six weeks and live down there in a Ronald McDonald house 
met a ton of amazing people along the way, amazing doctor with the most empathy in the world that truly went in for the right reasons, right? His dharma was clearly to fix people. And, and, and he loved on the families and he loved on the kids. And he's just a great dude. And uh, he's at MD Anderson, Dr. Harrison, just a great guy. And he's also one of the foremost experts on rather martial coma in the world. And uh, he just does everything. He knows everybody. Uh, I'm a guy that doesn't stop until I get answers. So I was reaching out to every expert in the world. And one day he called me. He's like, uh, all my friends are calling me, telling me you're calling them. So I, I got this. And I'm like, all right, man, I, I, I spun all this stuff. So if you say you got this, I'll trust you now. But uh, I appreciate that. But, you know, so we went and we stayed in Houston. We got radiation. And then we thought we won. The scans were clean. Wow. No evidence of disease, which was huge, right? Like, we fought through everything. Didn't think we'd live a year. This is, sorry. This is October of 16, not October of 16. This is August, August in, uh, I want to say, that sounds about right, August and September of 16. And we found out, we took scans and we're clear. There's no tumors. There's no active. There's Everything's looking great. She's feeling good. Her counts are up. Her body's feeling great. You know, she's the most resilient kid ever, man. And she just kept rocking it. She kept fighting it. She never complained. She was always happy. You know, and uh, it was, it was, it was unbelievable, right? And uh, we had a huge news thing done on us and how should be cancer and blah, 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 and all these great things. And we were always cautiously optimistic as always, right? But it was it was a celebration. It was a moment we took the time to celebrate. It was a moment that we we relaxed and we came together as a family and just enjoyed stuff, right? And uh, we actually, along the way, got connected with the baseball team, the Cubs, out of Chicago. Yeah. And uh, it was through their spring training. They actually spring trained down here in Phoenix. And it was through a hospital event. And uh, my daughter met uh, Clark the Cub, their mascot, and fell in love with him. And uh, as everybody that met my daughter did, they, he instantly fell in love with her. And uh, that bond was forever. And through that, we got more and more connected with the team. We actually met um, Joe and Jay Madden, who have always and continue to be amazing to our family. Um, and they actually had a um, Pediatric Cancer Awareness Day, which they do every year in September. September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. And they invited our daughter, Audrey, to throw out the opening pitch at Wrigley Field, which in baseball is a really big deal. Yeah. And so we got to go out, we got to meet all the guys um, and spend some time with the players. And uh, it was just it's a phenomenal experience for us. We were in that happy state of not having to fight, not having to do chemo, not having to go to the hospital, just pretending like we were normal people again, which, uh, you know, as we get out of this COVID, more people now have understanding of what that actually felt like yeah. uh, than, than did back then, right? Uh, Shelter in place. I mean, if, if you're a cancer kid, you have no counts. You shelter in place all the time. You can't go, you know, you can't go out into public because of everything everyone was worried with COVID, right? Like yeah. anything can be an infection. COVID was so, you know, drastically infectious that nobody wanted to be out, right? So it's the same thing when you're fighting cancer. We, we've done all that stuff before. You know, we, we'd felt those things. And, and the reemergence of us and having counts and being able to go anywhere we wanted to and not have to worry about that and to travel on a plane and not freak out and stuff. It was awesome. It was just a great, great experience with the Cubs organization. And, and they, like I said, they continue to love on our family still today. And, uh, and then we, and then we came back and we did our three month scans and cancer was back. Oh, yeah. And it had spread more. And uh, so that was the moment we realized we we're running out of options because we had gone so hard on the levels of radiation and chemotherapy we'd given her. It's not like we went half in and we still had half to go. 
Yeah. We threw the book at her, man. And we just said, you know what? We got one chance at this. And that's all you really get when it turns out it's cancer. You know, every time you have to fight it again, you're, you're, you drastically, drastically reduce your chances of, of beating and winning that fight. And uh, so we started, uh, you know, another routine. We went back to the doctor in MD Anderson. Um, they, weren't, they weren't willing to do the surgery in Arizona. And uh, again, like I said, I, I don't take a no. And so I called the doctor in MD Anderson. I said, hey, this is what we got. They're not doing the things I want them to do. He said, can you be on a plane in here tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'll pack my family up and we'll be there tomorrow. I flew my family out. I drove myself. And uh, so we'd have the van and uh, met them at the airport. We got them there. Uh, you know, that, that time we rented an Airbnb and uh, we show up the next day for, uh, for scans. Uh, doctor looked at her that day, said, yeah, I'll operate her on her tomorrow. And uh, we took all, as much of the cancer out as we could to, to give her as many days as she could from that, knowing that that's what we were doing going in. Um, so, sorry. So we got through that, and uh, unfortunately, the the day we found out that the cancer was still continuing after all of the protocols and started another keep around, it wasn't working. Was the day before we left for our Make a Wish trip. So we went into that with heavy hearts, but yeah. she wanted to go to uh, what she called Princess Land Fairy World, which was Disney World, <laughs> and uh, so Make a Wish has an amazing foundation down there that uh, they're that everybody connects a new from all over the world um, called give kids the world. And uh, they have like 200 rooms and they're like um, duplexes and like they, the big, like, big kids, uh, big room for the kids, a little, little room for the parents. Cause you know, who matters. Yeah. And uh, we got to go spend time at, at Disneyland or Disney world. And uh, she wanted to focus on all frozen level things because she was in love with frozen. Uh, I, I think I saw that movie a thousand times while we were inpatient from time to time, every hospital had it on their thing. So uh, she loved to watch it. We watched it a ton. And if you have kids, uh, you've seen it too many times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we got through that and then, uh, and then, you know, we progressed through and then we found a phase one trial. Cause I don't say, I don't take no for an answer. We found a phase one trial in, uh, in California um, through another hospital because our original hospital uh, refused to quit treating or refused to keep treating her, even though MD Anderson agreed that it was okay, um, while we tried to find another solution. So I, I think, you know, we maybe lost time there, but you know, all hindsight and all, all answers were right going forward, right? Like that's the one big thing that I, I had to take from it is every time I had to make one of those calls, and I think that everyone needs to understand that we don't know all the answers, we don't know everything, and that when you make one of those drastic life-changing decisions like I had to make my wife and I, I should say, I had to make, you know, hundreds of times throughout this process. It, it was always the right answer for the information that we had and, and the situation going forward. And you can't look back and ever say, no, I was wrong on that. You know, so we expected a fa accepted a phase one trial in, uh, in LA that we qualified for. And uh, it actually, it actually prolonged her for a while. And uh, it gave us some more time with her, which is all we, we were really looking for. And um, we ended up renting an Airbnb in uh in la uh downtown la which was quite the experience if you've ever been to la it's 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 kind of like we were talking about london before man it's uh it's an interesting interesting yeah. my my nine-year-old son learned a lot about the worlds and people <laughs> and transgender and just all the wonderful things that la brings you know and the uh the cultures which i love i mean all of it's great like i'm i'm all about if anything's good for you like it's, it doesn't hurt yourself or others go after it, man. Like live your life to the fullest in every way you can. And, and I've definitely come out from that view from a lot of this. Right. Um, but, uh, we lived in LA for a while and then we got that phase one trial and, uh, at the end of July of 2017, she had a seizure that pretty much, um, 
made her, I don't know, I don't know the right word, just not able to be mobile. And then she started to uh, really go downhill from there to where she really couldn't function anymore. Um, and then that's where we, we left that, uh, that phase of treatment and we had to make that decision. And so um, she had a, a huge seizure, um, code blue, sent us to the PIC ICU. They told us she, she would pass within 20 to 48 hours. That they'd given her every medicine that they had in the hospital um, and that we could keep giving her ketamine and then it would help. Um, I don't think it was ketamine. It, was, it might not have been that. It was, so don't quote me on that, but it was one of the seizure medications they could keep giving her and it would bring her back for times for us to spend with her, but it would continue to destroy her body. And that would only last for 20 to 48 hours. So we'd give her a couple hours with her and then she'd go into it again. We get a couple hours with her and she'd go into it again. And uh, that's when we asked, can we give her CBD oil? And uh, they said, well, um, I'm not going to be in the room for like the next hour. And CBD oil is completely legal. Um, the CBD oil we gave her was a thousand percent legal in, in all cases. Um, we had been giving her cannabis and she did have her own medical card prior to that. But we stopped the cannabis um, during the phase one trial because we really were looking for the efficacy of the phase one trial and, and all of this wholeness for all the other kids that it may be able to help in the future. And so we felt that that was the right thing to do. Um, but when she started having these seizures, and I think maybe giving her the CBD oil may have actually prevented those seizures from ever actually happening. So there's not another medicine we give her in the hospital. She's going to die in 24 to 48 hours. We gave her CBD oil. Within a minute and a half, her seizures stopped. And she lived for two and a half more months. Wow. So you can do all the science you want to do in the world, um, but there's something behind cannabis, right? And so... I was going to say, yeah, you see that. You, you see that in lots of examples of people using the CBD oil to treat cancers and uh, epilepsy as well. People oh, absolutely. Um, but still, there's a huge, there's less of a, less of a reluctance over in America than there is here in the UK. Oh, such to, a uh, thing allow cannabis. Yeah. Yeah, we were, I mean, we were given her THC as well. So we had a, we had a pretty, uh, we we're a one-to-one -one CBD to uh, THC level. And then we were also given her THCA, um, which is uh, a non-psychedelic version of THC that doesn't, you know, make you as, as high. Um, sure. But we, we, we worked her levels up um, to a, a pretty high dose for a little kid. I mean, she was taking a, a lot of cannabis a day. Uh, and, you know, what's funny is, um, the doctors weren't fans at all, um, or some of them didn't know necessarily because, but we were, we were legal to do it, right? Like we had all of the right documentation. We, we got her the card. We, we purchased it from the right people, all the things that needed to be done the right way um, to make sure we covered ourselves in all ways. And uh, I mean, she was taking <clears throat> 300 milligrams of THC a day and she was 36 pounds. But it, it also shows what the human body can actually take when you build it up in the appropriate ways. You know, yeah. the proper dosing through a naturopathic doctor to actually be able to uh, do those things. And it was crazy that the doctors would say, wow, you know, her body rebounds like nobody we've ever seen before. And we're like, oh, funny how that works, huh? <laughs> but yet that's the same doctor that wouldn't let me give it to her. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. I mean, I just just from from that snippet of your life, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> First of all, Audrey, what a great name! Right, such a beautiful name. Thanks, but what, a, what a little warrior! What a little warrior! And you know, it's so Audrey, Audrey was three. Um, she was three when she got di uh, diagnosed, and she was uh, almost six when she passed. Right, so absolutely 
So she absolutely smashed it out of the park for how how long she could. And obviously, you guys made. You said you know you you made the decisions, and the big thing to take away from that is you don't take no for an answer. And when no, it's your it, own child, like I, so my boy's four years old. I would stop at absolutely nothing. I would do I would do time for him, and that's that's absolutely. the bottom line. So. You know, hearing hearing your what you did and how much you battled, that should be the way every every parent, every adult should fight it. Because as great work as all the doctors do, you know, I've I've seen it firsthand that when a doctor's treating somebody, they are so desensitized sometimes. Mm. It's just a a patient. It's not a person mm. as such. You know, it's not a human. So there was a. There was a point my little boy cracked his head open. We were prattling around. He ran into a door frame. The door frame won. Like, so he split his head open. It was all flapping everywhere. He was a brave little boy. I bandaged him up, took him to hospital. And when he was in there, the doctors, they came in, and they were they were really rough, like cleaning the wound so they could see if right. they had to stitch it or glue it. And I was sat behind the doctor, and I seen my boy's called Dexter. I seen Dexter looking like crying his eyes out and we had that moment where he looked at me as if to say why are you letting this happen right so i literally got up and i apologized after to the doctor but i got in between the doctor and his um assistant and i literally i just pushed them away and i stood over dexter and i said to them he's a little boy like i know you're doing what you need to but be gentle listen to right. him and then that was it I, I didn't leave dexter's side so from a parent's point of view you know that that's that's what you need to do, and that I is do. don't take no for an answer. And you push as hard as you can push because, by the sounds of it, you know you pushed to the level you could. And Audrey, bless her little heart, pushed even further. She carried on, and right. that shows you the human body. And with that love and determination, who can tell you you're wrong? You have to shoot for the fences, right? Like there's 100%. there's no regrets at the end of the day, right? You know, if I go out swinging, I go out swinging. You know, and, and and that's and I think that's the mentality we took from the beginning. We're gonna do everything and anything we can, and you know, we're in such an interconnected world that you know that you can't just rely on the medicine that's here. You know, there's some wild stuff going all over the world where the stem cells in Panama, or you know, like you know, I I ended up traveling for dentistry after everything. Like, there, you can go all over this world and get amazing services that you, you can't just lock yourself into the one little box anymore. You, you have to look bigger. Um, and, and then, you know, and those are the things that we did, you know, and so, and I think that exactly what you said, you have to be adequate, right? But the whole time that we went through all this, almost two and plus years, I had to work the entire time. I had yeah. to keep a job. I had to keep insurance. You know, she billed out over two and a half million dollars in, in medical bills, you know, $40,000 a dose for 40 year old chemo. Why the hell does it cost that much? Yeah. Right. For, for a kid, you know, and she's, she's staying four or five weeks at a time in the hospital, $1,100 a night in the oncology. Like, why does it cost that much? You know, so uh, like, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never understand the way that you guys do medical care over in the states. My, my wife's in the background; she just went, "That's disgusting." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it truly is, man. L luckily, we had good insurance, man, and I worked for an absolutely amazing company that had my back all the way, right? And I, you know, I, I, I worked my butt off just as much as I fought for Audrey, and I turned some record quarters and was able to, you know, be able to keep everything afloat um through all of that you know i was reading back through the the blog today like i said just to kind of refresh my mind a little bit since it's been a while and uh you know a couple of those i was like you know watching her do chemo and trying to catch up on all my emails 
And, you know, it's just, it's just what you do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as a dad, you know, and, and moms do too. So no disrespect to that, but, you know, on, on a dad show, um, you know, <laughs> we, we end up holding a lot of that sometimes. And we feel that specifically it's, it's ingrained in us that we have to do everything we can, right? We, we have to keep the family together. We have to fight for, you know, in this situation, my daughter, I, I have to figure out how I'm going to stay employed so that I keep insurance. I got to figure out how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to, you know, pay for four months at $7,200 a month Airbnb rent in LA? I have yeah. to figure out how I'm going to take the family to Houston for six weeks to get radiation that costs some astronomical amount, right? Yeah. And again, luckily the insurance covers a lot of that. And um, after a million dollars a year, um, each hospital generally quits billing you, but we went to multiple hospitals, right? So uh, those numbers continue to add up if you're not at the one hospital getting over a million dollars worth of care. And then the insurance, like dealing with the claim insurance, I was at c- collections. They said I owed $7,200 for some procedure in Houston. And I knew I didn't owe $7,200. So I spent seven, like really like six hours on the phone with my insurance company talking to their billing people and me just hanging out listening and ended up owing $87. And then another time, somebody sent me to collections and they owed me $93. And so, like, I just recently saw a book, a book that says uh, Never, pay the per- Never Pay the First Bill was, I think, the title of the book. And it was mm-hmm. regards to medical billing. And now that couldn't be more right. Like, I fought every bill to the death, man, because I, I had so many. Yeah. But what but what a waste of energy that is. Like, And time away from my daughter time, too, right? Like. <laughs> I mean, there's a not there's not a lot of things that this country gets right, but the NHS is definitely one of them. To because yep. I couldn't imagine having to deal with what you were dealing with because obviously, it, and again, not to say it's different for women, but for men, you know, we have to keep everything together. We pay the bills, we run the family, we, we're the head of. You know, everyone looks to us as the 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 provider, the, 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 the provider the, well, not for even the that, just, right? yeah, but not even not even financially more stability strength mm-hmm. um With so you've got to ch- try and keep all that together as well Holding as your shit that. together sometimes it's, it could be rough right you yeah. gotta hold it all man you, you, yeah. you can't look like you're weak in the situation you you can't you can't be tired and not tell that doctor no when you got to tell him no you yeah. know and, and you got to make sure like for my boy who's going along the entire way he's got to see i'm strong he doesn't yeah. you know i can't show to him that i'm worried about his sister dying every moment of every day you just got to get yeah. through those pieces yeah, yeah, and so, so yeah, so, trying to deal with that as well as the medical side of it, as the med- the pressures of it, and like you say, six hours on a phone call to for a bill for eighty eighty two dollars. That that I yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. nuts, man. They're they're killing my credit for it. It's and that's I had two and a half years, two and two and a quarter years with my daughter from the time she got diagnosed with cancer. I wanted to spend every minute of that cool, when man. she wanted to hang out, hanging out, yeah. and instead I'm spending time on the phone dealing with this kind of stuff. And that's, that's like super frustrating, man. And then I would say that all the stuff that I've talked about was hard. And, uh, that's, that's definitely, you know, not what anybody would ever want to go through, but after she passed, that's when she got deep. Yeah. You know, that moment. How, how old was your son? Nine. Nine. When she passed. I mean, obviously for you guys for 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 your wife and yourself obviously really really tough but then right you kind of i imagine without subconsciously doing it you kind of forget you know what's this little 9 year old going through how's he feeling what's he what's he taking in from this because yep. it's not a circumstance anybody would ever be 
you know, you, you're not taught those sort of things. And this is how you must act. And this is how your parents are going to act when this situation happens, because you never want that situation. So you never, ever speak about things like that. So right. then, so how was your boy? How was your son? Um, I mean, to be honest, I think for probably a good three or four months, um, I was in such a black hole of nothingness that, yeah. you know, he, he got through. Uh, we, we gave him, you know, like uh, the necessities, uh, you know, he, he had a shelter, he had food, uh, he had yeah. anything he needed. Uh, obviously, we got him a counselor and, and he, you know, thank God we did that for him. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe in counseling and mental health. And, you know, w- without that, we definitely wouldn't be the people we we wouldn't have gotten out of the the darkness um, as quickly and as uh, and I wouldn't say quickly, but as uh, as transitioned as as we did. And it definitely paid paid huge dividends um, in regards to that to to at least get him through the point where I could start taking over again. And I was, you know, at least starting to get to where I could get my head above the water to, yeah. to start checking in on him. And, you know, it's it's only been four years. And I said it's only been four years and that, you know, we're coming up on five. And it it obviously is still a very deep wound yeah, um, that we're continually working our way through. Um, but you know, in, in those instances, we were able to, um, just get through it. And, and for me, I really, I turned to books and, and I don't, I don't remember why, honestly. And, it, and I, and I think if I look back, I started listening to, to podcasts, like I was in such this dark, deep, shitty spot, man. Like, you know, I, I it's the whole, uh, like the pit of despair, right? Like I, there's a billion analogies you can have, but I'm, I'm in the deepest, darkest hole and, and I don't know what to do. Right. Like, I don't know, you know, like. The only reason that I think I even chose to come out of that hole was for my son, right? Like I, I, I didn't need to live anymore for me. Like, like I'm good. Like I've, I've been through all this stuff and you know, there's moments where you look back and you're like, well, he still needs a dad. And, uh, you know, again, it's, another pressure, isn't it? It's another thing that's then thrown onto you as a, as the dad, as the, you know, that, that hierarchy as such, you, you know, you've got to go, Right, I'm going push my shit aside again. Mm-hmm. Focus on this part now, and it's it's that we spoke about it for, on quite a few podcasts now. It's it's how it's how we accept that in our head and what we do to then deal with that. Because you could have just gone, that's it, my blinkers are on. Whatever I can't see past here, I don't give a shit about. It. I don't care. And then yeah. obviously all that destruction and despair outside of that, you just you just carry on your path. But for you to be able to go right. Hang on, my son needs me. He he needs his dad. And well, then that happened and, for a while. Well, he needs his dad alive. That was that was the more the, more the key to yeah. the story at the moment, right? Like I'm still paying the bills. I'm, I'm still in my dark craziness. I'm playing crap tons of Rocket League. Um, just trying to you know take my mind off everything. I do run Rocket League. It's my uh, guilty uh, obsession. Um, it, it's it's literally like one of the crutches that I use to get through everything, right? I just I'd get into Rocket League and I wouldn't have to think about anything else other than that five minute game. Um, and then, and then I could go do something else. Like if something got really bad, I jump in a rocket league and I spend 15 minutes in there. I, I think about playing rocket league and then I come out and I deal with whatever I had to deal with. It's the, uh, you know, eventually later on, I learned how to do meditation and headspace and like how to like get my mind out of the thinking loops, um, that they are. Um, but you know, I, I jumped on YouTube and I started listening to just some phenomenal mentors out there, you know, Jay Shetty. I don't know if you guys know him. He's like, yeah. Guy. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's different thing. I just listened again to his book. Um, I think it lived like a monk. Uh, title might be off, but it's it's a phenomenal book, right? And it says everything he always talks about on YouTube. But then I got to, I think I found him. And then through him, I found Tom Bilyeu, 
uh, Impact Theory, which he was a guest on. And if you guys haven't watched Impact Theory, it's his, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. They, he introduces you to just the most amazing minds in the world, like Sudo Guru, um, who's a guy that just wrote the book on karma. And he wrote another book prior to that, which was uh, life life changing. And and through all these people he was interviewing, they all had books, right? And I'm like, Whoa, what are these books, right? Simon Sinek, love that guy. So his two favorite books, Finite Infinite Games and Man's Search for Meaning. So Finite Infinite Games, man, that is a hard book. That is a hard book. I've listened to it three or four times. I get the concepts. I don't think I understand the book. But I'm going <laughs> to listen to it some more, and we're going to get through that one. But uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning is a book that, A, first showed me, okay, all the things that I just talked about were absolutely horrible. And I and they, they hurt to go through, and they, they, were, they were just absolutely horrible. But Victor Frankl lived through concentration camps, was in Auschwitz, and was freed. And, and so like the first half of the book is, is his struggle and all of the things he saw in every moment, like where they're like, go this way in line and go this way in line. You're the every other, if you're the dude behind, because you were tying your shoe, you went to the gas chambers. If you were the guy that got ahead, you, you got saved. And like what that mental shift was. And like, as he's accounted, he's a psychologist going in to all of this. So like he already has all these tools to understand why the mind is thinking what it's thinking. And then he created logotherapy from that, right? And logotherapy is really logo meaning meaning, right? It's the idea of finding meaning for our lives. And as 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 humans, our minds are built in a way that we have to have meaning, right? Like without meaning, we get stuck in a pit of despair. Like we have to have a direction. And without that direction, we just we can't find anywhere. So and, and one of the one of the things he says, I, I paraphrase I'm sure is he talks about how um suffering seems to cease to be suffering when it finds meaning. Right. And, and so and that, and then and there's more to that. But in, in the gist of that, how I take it for me and what I got out of it was, hey, I need to figure a way that something I can do with me, something I can do with this situation, with all the stuff that we just talked through in, in a way that's maybe beneficial for somebody else. Right. If one person hears this podcast, which is exactly why you got started the podcast and yeah. everybody does. If, if one person hears this <clears throat> podcast and goes, damn, my life doesn't suck as bad as I thought it does. This guy. He's happy. He's on the other side of it. My career is going well now. You know, the, the family's doing the best that it can. The, the boy is very much, you know, excelling in life. You know, we're, we're traveling. We, we've been all over the world. We've, we've done a lot of things. And there's a lot of had to go through, but so many amazing moments. You know, the, the trip to Disney, the, you know, um, uh, Anthony Rizzo, the first baseman for the, for the Cubs, also was a, is, a, is a pediatric cancer survivor. Um, he actually got diagnosed shortly after he was drafted to the MLB and fought it and beat it. He had one of those great cancers that we know well, and but he's a strong guy, and, and people still get lost from that. So it's not a minimal thing at all. And he went through some very, very bad stuff to get through it, right? It's a poison body to, to live, but he understands the fight, and he actually helped us with some expenses along the way. And just an amazing dude, man. I cannot say enough great things. He came by to see Audrey because obviously he fell in love with her like everybody else. He came by to the house one day and just spent an afternoon with us and just hung out. Her and the mascot, of course. And uh, <laughs> you know, those highs, and my boy got to see that, right? And then mm -hmm. after she passed, the Cubs, um, to her services, upset flowers, and the mascot um, came out of suit. Uh, who we we become really good friends. Me, the guy in the suit, and uh, and uh, he's just a great guy. Uh, got a great heart and just loved on our family. And he came to the services 
and uh, talked about, you know, us maybe being able to attend a, a baseball game. So we lived our life through baseball that year. Um, shortly after she passed, we went to a, a Diamondbacks game here, which was an NLDS, National League Division Series game. So playoffs, right? Um, and then we saw the Dodgers uh, go to go play the Cubs. And then my company was based out of Chicago. My boss was also in the services and the two of them were talking. They're like, I think you need to come to Chicago and get, you know, back in with a company you haven't really been able to engage lately. So when you're ready, there happens to be an NLCS championship game that you need to come see. So we went to that and uh, that was awesome. And then shortly after that, um, when we were in Houston, we met uh, Javier Bracamonte, who's a bullpen catcher for the Houston Astros, another guy with a huge heart. And I uh, got to level that, that guy just loved our family and wonderful and said, hey, um, I think someone down here would like to sponsor you guys to come to the World Series game. And so we got to go to a World Series game. And uh, you also who my boy was. He actually, the game was on Sunday. He turned 10 on Monday. And the game went until like 1 in the morning. So technically, we like to say he turned 10 at the World Series. So <laughs> well, you have to look at the brighter side of things. You can dwell on all the stuff in life. And, and I can continue to, to cry and weep and whine and, and not be a productive member of society and not talk about my experiences. Or, you know, I can share them. And, and I can have real conversations with people and, you know, since we've gone through that and we, we've had some separation about it, I've, I've, I've been on calls with families that just got diagnosed to, to talk to them and, and give them some, some guidance and say, hey, man, you're going to be able to do this. I know it sucks right now. I know that nothing yeah. feels good, but we're going to get through this. You know? and, and I've had some calls with people later in the journey and being like, you know, when that time comes and, and you need to have a conversation about transition from, from A, from, from care to hospice, and then from, from hospice yeah. to that next step unfortunately I'm the guy that knows. And um, I just want you to know that I'm willing to have that conversation with you. I'm willing to be there with you for that. I'm willing to be anything you need me in that. If you need to understand, you know, how to plan services, like, you know, how to get a mortician for your kid, like all of those things that you don't think about, you know, and like that struggle that, that you experience with your mom, right? Like you, you go from this, this treatment, to hospice, to death. And in mm. that hospice phase, you're watching, you know, they're going to die. Yeah but you're still wanting to do everything you can to keep them here, but you know, they're going to die and you're just keeping them comfortable enough to, to yeah, it's so hard, man. And so just being able to have this conversation with them and, and, and just peel back the onion, I think is a super important and something that I've always wanted to do. You know, people tell me to write a book. I like to speak. I don't like to write. Um, I have written that blog. So I think that, you know, someday that, that may can be converted. Audrey, what, Noel, is, what um, is the blog, uh, Ira? Yeah, it's AudreyNoel.com. It's A-U-D-R-E-Y-N-O-E-L-L-E.com. And the homepage is pretty much every blog post I ever made from the very beginning all the way to the end. It's, uh, it's an account uh, of our life. Just going back on to what, you, what you're what doing now for other families. It's yeah, just yeah, such, an amazing, that. such an amazing thing that, you, that, you, that you're doing. And you know, like you say, you, there's, there's no experience like a lived experience. So the fact that you can you can help and try and guide people through who are going through such a, at that point for them, such a traumatic experience is a hats off to you, mate, for being able to do that. It's just, I think we, I think we have to though, right? Like there's no other option for me, you know? And I think uh, for other people obviously would be, but for me, there's no other option. Um, You know, again, Victor Frankl, suffering ceases to become suffering when it finds meaning and and I have to find some meaning in it. And if that's the meaning, you know, I'd love to public speak on it. Um, You know, I'm, I, I got to get some, you know, talk tracks around what I'd like to t- plug speak about, the, the things I've learned. And again, I've read have tons of books since then on, and, and I really like to read on mental health. Like, why do we think what we think? The lizard brain, the mammalian brain, the evolved brain, um, yeah. you know, just flow state, you know, 
uh, Stephen Kotler, um, all those guys are doing amazing research on flow state and, and, and how we think, how we think, why we do what we do, how we feel what we feel, you know, why action sport guys are in the flow or where they're at. Um, yeah. There's just so many amazing science out there that, uh, and I, I've only really been diving into this whole mental health world and, and, and reading and just ingesting data for the last three years. So, you know, yeah. of that, I'm excited to see what comes of it. I'm I'm the same. Like I'm I'm fascinated by the mind. Like and and, it's, and this whole last this whole last year year and a half has been a such an eye opener for me. Like and I've been also doing reading on loads of different things. And like, when you peel it back, like we the the average person, we know nothing. Right. <laughs> we we know absolutely nothing. So if if we start to and the the stuff you can learn that you can take from other people's lived experiences like yourself or yep. other people's writings or audio books and you when you start to understand certain things you and then you start to see them in everyday life you go oh yeah well yeah that's because of that and, and you, you yep. can start to piece together things that sometimes would have probably knocked you for six um well and yeah i just think if the more you the more we learn the better we, the better we can. It's the shared, it's the shared experiences, isn't it? It's the good and bad. It's the shared experience of both mm -hmm. that something somewhere along the line will resonate with somebody. And you yeah, don't know, yeah. who, you don't know who, how old they are, what they've been through, where they live. Right. But you could say one sentence and that could, their mind could just completely change. They'll be like, Oh shit. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Let me try this. And then all of a sudden they're on a different journey. And it's that, it's that mentorship without knowing yeah it truly it's, is man it's all the reading that you're doing and you're you're taking it in you can quote something of that and it captures somebody's attention and they go i'm going to look at that they then go and look at it they become a fan they get a bit knowledgeable they pass it on it's just i mean i think the biggest thing for me ira is that the, the way you've the way you've opened up about everything is it's just incredible so thank you so much you. for that but the way you and your family have, what's the right word? Not dealt with it, just just got on with it. You've just you've just gone right. This is really shit. But guess what? We're going to do the best we can, as hard as we can. And then you know that's all gone. You're now focusing on the next part and helping other people like Marco to echo what Marco said. You know, it's incredible that you can have the courage you know to share your story with other people to to guide them through know that it's okay to it's okay to grieve like a, a lot of especially guys a lot of guys tend to go nah i can't cry i can't i can't let it out i can't do it because of how society sees us and the the sort of persona of man whereas actually that's so far from the truth we need to do it more we need i think we are we are there's, there's sort of less stigma about it all now but the more you can, the more you can show that you can wear your heart on your sleeve, and it's okay. It doesn't yep. make you a weak person at all. If anything, it makes you a strong person to be able to go, "Hey, I have feelings. This is how it's affected me." And now look at me. You haven't just gone into a corner, into a box, and gone. No, I don't want anything to do with anybody. But You've smashed it as well. Like feelings are like I was describe it like it's like taste. You imagine if you only tasted one thing, you know, right. you, you know, when you taste all different types of food, you have a, your mouth tells you what different types of emotion that for me, that's like feelings and emotions. You have to experience all these emotions. You can't just be stone faced. Nothing affects you. 
I, I, I tell you, I, you know, do you remember? You probably don't, Ira. I don't know if you watch soccer um, or football. Um, <laughs> That's true. But the um, the European Championships recently um, had um, Christian Eriksen. Oh, no, Christian Eriksen cra- collapsed on the pitch. He had a heart attack on the pitch. Oh. Like I was crying my eyes out watching it. Like I have no affiliation to him whatsoever, but like just the emotion just took over me and like, oh, just yeah, it's just I, I feel with, like with, that, with emotion. I think I'm a big believer is that you you cannot have the ultimate high of emotion yeah. without having the ultimate low because Agreed. you don't know that that's your high. You don't know that's your peak. Like that's the the best feeling you'll ever feel in your life. Why should it be? Right. Who, who's telling you? Look how happy you are now. Guess what? You can't get any happier. Well, I think there's some of that too, though. Like talking about like where, um, you know, again, why sharing my story is the idea of like how deep our shit sucked and how bad yeah. our life was. And you know, even even I know that wasn't as bad as perhaps one of other people in this world, right? It's yeah. just I, I happen to live through that and experience that, right? And again, reading Victor Frankel or reading any of those other guys, we see that. It could have been ten times worse, right? Or a thousand. I can't quantify that really. Yeah. Um, but you know that somebody else has lived through that, right? And I think that's the key, like lived through is is the big part of it, is, is that we've gotten through those pieces and that we, we continue to live on the other side of it. And yeah. and giving them the the hopes of that, right? And then like you were talking about like the whole tasting, right? So like um Jason Silva, he also likes to talk about hydonic adaptation, right? So the idea of like constantly changing the things that you have so that you can experience the best things. Like if you eat chocolate and it's your favorite thing in the world, and you eat that chocolate for the first time, it's the best experience you've ever had. Yeah. Guess what? The next time you eat it, you know what to expect. So it's not going to yeah. be that best experience, right? So that's why yeah. you keep going different places in the world so that when you're traveling, you get that feeling, you get that shift and that change in my state. Yeah. And, and I think that feelings are those too. I've never been that stoic guy, man, to be honest. Like, you know, I, I'd be on business trips sitting down with clients, and they're like, how are you doing, man? Like, not knowing my shit, right? And they're like, how are you doing, man? How's your day? And I'm like, fucking shit, man. And I lose my stuff, you know? And yeah. I'd be at dinner, and this guy asked me a question, and I hadn't seen him a long time. And I make friends really well when I'm on the road. I'm always great. At, I'm a sales guy, so I'm a relationship guy. I build these relationships yeah. deep. And I have friends all over the country. And I go out to dinner with this guy, and, hey, man, how's life going? How are the kids? And then, then, you, then you have to choose. Do I tell them? That yeah. my daughter's funny, or or do I pretend to be normal tonight and have a dinner where we just laugh and drink beer and have a great time and we don't pretend about my shit? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I generally couldn't keep it back a lot of times. Um, sometimes I would hide it and we'd have a great night and I would just pretend life was normal. Um, but you'd have those moments where fucking tears would just come and you're like, yeah. and they're like, what's your problem, dude? Like I, I think I wrote in the blog in the very early part. I ran into one of my old contacts in, at the airport. He's like, how have you been? And I emotionally vomited on the dude. <laughs> and and I was just like, wow, this dude's like going somewhere. And he just had the pit to spare, smack him in the face and be like, what the? When he walked away and I texted him like 10 minutes later, I'm like, dude, uh, I just kind of realized what I just said. I'm sorry about that. I We can talk later. And he's like, oh, no, no worries. No worries. You know, he's a good dude for it. But I had that. So the, the week after my mom passed, well, I was at a, a gala dinner, like a black tie event. And then the speak the the after dinner speaker was talking about like losing a family member. Oh my god! I was I sat at oh. this table. I was just sat at this table. Like everyone, and it was it wasn't a sad story. It was, right. it was a quite. It's a just fun, a trigger. It's a trigger. It's, man. I, and so everyone sat there, and I was just in tears. And like people were like, what, what's this? Like, what's this? What's this guy doing? I was up with him, and I had to say, like, I'm sorry. Like, I've just, 
just lost my mum. Like, but it just, yeah, just come yep. over me. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, so we, I lost, uh, we lost Audrey in 17, and then uh, one year later in 18, my dad got diagnosed with stage four cancer, oh, and then uh, I lost him six months later. And uh, yeah, it was, and going back into the hospital, man, oof, like yeah. the, the, you know, the, the PTSD to going back in and seeing my dad hooked up to machines and the beeping, and I mean, yeah. they were the same machines and the same beeps and triggers, man, huge triggers. I, you know, I can't, I can't watch kids in the hospital on TV. Um, I mean, I can, but. I can't see through the tears, right? Like those, those yeah. moments that you find your ways around. Um, but yeah. you, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm, I'm one strong, hard dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ira, how, how did, how did you, you and your wife's relationship? How, Cause I, I read an interesting, we had, we interviewed a guy who got married to the same woman twice um, recently. And um, so That's I was awesome. doing a bit of reading. I was doing a bit of reading on marriage. And one of the statistics that I read was, I think it was something like 60% of, um, marriages end due to fa- like a, an illness in the family. Like h- how how did how did you guys cope through that? Yeah, so uh, we got married early. Uh, we've been married for twenty two years. Uh, we twenty three years in September, and we've been together for twenty six years in September. I want to say. Um, <laughs> so I mean, we we've been together since we were kids, man. And uh, you know, uh, it, it hasn't always been perfect, right? Like, like there's lots of ups and downs. But when when the cancer hit and we became an inseparable team mm. and uh we we fought together side by side we, we carried all the torches uh, she was um you know the biggest warrior my wife could ever be you know she just stepped up and she did all the things that needed to do while i was traveling you know i, I traveled for work for for sales and i was in hawaii for a week selling stuff while my wife was inpatient with my daughter getting chemo you know, and, and my wife was awesome with me along the way. She wasn't mad at me. Obviously, she wished she could be in Hawaii. I did take her to Hawaii after everything, yeah. um, you know, try to make up for some of that. But, yeah, I mean, so the, the actual statistic is 99% of um, couples that have their kid diagnosed with cancer get divorced. 99. Wow. 99% of families that lose their kid for any reason get divorced. Um, what, so what, what, I think what, that makes what, sense. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Why do you think that is? So, and, and, and it's a struggle I fight still every day, to be honest, man. And, and it's it's a fight or flight, first off, right? So some dudes are just weak and they run from the fight and they can't fight it. And, and, I, and I say that straight up weak. If you walk away from the situation where I've seen, then yeah. you have no business being a dad anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's probably the harshest statement I could ever say, but no, I, I don't see it any other way. Um, and, and I might be wrong on that. And I'm okay with that, but that's just how I see the world. And, uh, so I think that's part of it. Some dudes just run, they run from the family, they run from that and then they get divorced. Right. Um, the other is, um, they can't deal with how their other spouse is handling the situation in the moment. And they can't have that empathy and, and allow the space for them to feel how they need to feel. They feel that they need to feel how they need to feel in that moment. Right. And, you know, my wife and I went through all these different emotions along the way and, you know, Guys and ladies are different in, in how we deal with stuff. And it, it's just, it's physically true. And then there's exceptions to every rule, right? But if you're just to look at the whole and the percentages, there's differences between us. That's why we're dads and there's moms. And there's, you know, men are from bars and women from beans, whatever that is, yeah. right? Like that 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 feeling and, and then how we deal with that. So you have to give them the emotional space to deal with it. And mm. we were, man, we were a unit when it came to all of that stuff. We never... Went against each other. We we talked through all the things we need to talk to. 
we communicated deeply when we needed to communicate deeply. And at the same time, like we didn't see each other for a lot of times. I'd go to the hospital and stay with Audrey. She'd go home because she'd been there for a day, you know, and we, there'd be weeks we wouldn't see each other. Yeah. You know, I don't think we slept in the same house for probably, you know, it could go months. Um, when, cause one was at the hospital, one was here. I'd be oh, traveling yeah. when, when we weren't at the hospital, I was on the road, you know, and I was trying to make that happen. Right. And so, and we got through that. And then, you know, like I said, that was the easy part. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the backside of all of that. And that's the hard part dealing with loss, grief. That's hard, man. And, uh, you know, it's, you- it's giving her the space. Yeah. just on that grief because this this is i experienced this like i didn't grieve properly for about two it was about two years after like you pushed it off yeah well of course yeah yeah i did and it was it, it wasn't until i think it was it was mother's day like two years after and i was like Phew. like it really just hit me and i was like jesus like i really that was, that's when i really struggled with it and but then right and now i have to deal with this but yeah you're right i did i I put it off because i was the old the oldest the oldest child in the family um dad was never around so it was just mum, me and then my younger brothers and sisters so i was always the i hate the term man of the house because i never was that was that but (laughs) but, um you were that figure though man yeah so they would always come to me like you know they're my youngest my youngest is 10 years younger than me and my oldest is five years younger than me so you know there i'm much i'm much older than them uh, and you know they would always look to me for uh, strength and you know trying to deal with that and try and be that power uh, tower of strength was is hard when you're trying to cope with it yourself of course I think it's just identifying those pieces, right? Like um, I, I read somewhere that, you know, everything that we suppress in our brain is now just suppressed into our subconscious. It's just not available in our conscious, right? And yeah. it's constantly going to keep coming back and we can keep putting it back in our subconscious all we want. Mm-hmm. But until we deal with it and pack it away in, in a productive way, we're, we're going to struggle with that, right? And so I think just, you know, eventually you had that moment where you had to go head on with it. And uh, you, you here it is it's the raw i gotta deal with it i gotta grieve for it i gotta go through all of those stages and if anyone ever thinks that they can avoid those stages at some level grief is gonna get you and i mean for me you know i carry my daughter's lifeless body out to the car right and then and she left i had to deal with it then and we all have different ways and times that we're going to get through those pieces but getting through that and dealing with it and facing it head on for a while because I think that, you know, it's like if you lose an arm, you can't do anything until the damn thing heals and then you can actually start to, to live again, right? And so I think, you know, I lost a lot more than an arm in those moments, right? So it's, it's, it's healing in, in and it's a healing enough that you can start physical therapy in a way, really, when you're really dealing with something that deep and then just starting to, to dig out those pieces, right? You know, um, thinking fast and thinking slow, I think is the title of that one. It really talks about system one and system two in our brains and how we like, subconsciously and consciously process data, right? And then the, and the, the logic bits of how our, our lizard brain versus our evolved brain actually process through those pieces. And then as I began to understand those things, like from that book, my biggest takeaway was, you know, they they did an experiment and, and we're humans, man, we're, we're so the same. We all think we're different and unique, but we're not. We're also similarly wired, man. We can't get around this stuff. It's just inherently built into us. We have genetic memory. There's a reason why we fear stuff we've never seen. There's a reason why my chickens that I have 
fear a hawk in the sky, but they have no idea what a hawk's going to do. And it was going to take their entire life, right? It's genetic yeah. DNA. And so, like, through that genetic memory, we understand these things. And, you know, one example was that helped me with something was they were talking about this um, study that he did. He did all these types of studies. And uh, one was around, they had six people all in individual booths, and they had to talk about themselves or whatever. And one of them, he called this dude, I don't know, you know, it was, it was the, the plant, basically, but that was the word he used from a really old book. And uh, he talked about how this guy faked having a seizure, and then how many people came to his rescue, right? And, and on average, it was only one or two or none. And it was because they assumed either they didn't have the skills to deal with it, or it was already taken care of and they wanted to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Well, in our fight, and this is one thing that if anyone can take away from this video, in our fight, people just assumed we were good. They assumed we had too much on the plate to offer to do stuff. They just walked out of our lives. And and we were alone a lot of times to deal with this stuff. And and that's there were some people that definitely and they know who they are, but there was a lot of people that just shit, I, I, I don't know what to say. So I'm just gonna avoid this yeah. situation and, and and dig into that. Like if you have a friend going through something, ask how they are. And when they say fine, say you're a liar. And yeah. dig in deeper and say, you know, where can I help? And if they don't answer where they can help, go do it. They're not going to be mad at you. And yeah. if they are mad at you, that's okay. That's just because they have the situation. They, they, they need you. And, and they need your input. And they need you involved in their lives. Don't walk away. It's that thing. We've, so um, many we've heard uh, I heard a, a, a stat thing. It was like, so we, touching on what I just joined back on, I just had to go and check on my boy. He's, he's got this habit at the moment, no matter how hot it is, he likes to sleep under his duvet. Oh, he's a sweaty, sweaty boy right now. Oh my god, I've just, I've just kind of had to change his bed around him asleep. Like, That's awesome. He might as well swim. I, I might put him in swimming shorts tomorrow. I love how they don't wake up at that age too. Like you could do anything. You could hold him by an ankle up, and he'd still be asleep <laughs> and put him back down. But then at half four in the morning, he's wired. He's awake. Oh, he's oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So just to, like jumping back a few steps is that you know. There's this stat I heard that for for things like PTSD, if you don't deal with it, like you were talking about, you know, if you don't actually accept it and and start talking about it and deal with it, PTSD can take sometimes up to I think it's 12 years to to manifest and actually trigger. So within 12 years, something can trigger that PTSD, and you could say, you know, that whole that old saying that we like to say, "Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm fine." Well, actually, you keep saying that for long enough, you'll start to believe it. But then there's that trigger that happens. Then everyone around you is going, well, I thought you was okay. I thought Which you were experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the whole the whole thing. And so I've got a lot of – I was in the military, and I've got a lot of friends that are still in, just coming out. And, um, you know, they're exactly that, that stereotypical person to say, yeah, I'm good. And then you go, well, actually – I know where you've been and what you've done. Like I've experienced it, and like I'm, I'm not the strongest of persons, and it messed me up a little bit. So I know what you're going through. So don't tell me you're okay. And it's having that that ability about yourself to challenge, challenge people, not in a mm. horrible way. You know, don't be a dick about it <laughs> and say, no, you're not okay. Trust me, I know more than you. It's not like right. that. But challenging people, it's it, when you hear so often, I'm okay. And I'm fine, you know. Nine times out of ten, they're probably not. They're probably going through something, but they don't want to either share the burden. They probably think that you don't actually care, or you haven't got an interest in it. It becomes a formality, doesn't it? 
Well, I, they, I, they, yeah. they assume you can't. They assume you can't uh, get out that empathy for it too, right? Like, exactly, that's, yeah. that's a lot of things with like the PTSD and like something that you all absolutely get. And and I can't to the same level as when we when we came out of the other side of that. Like, we had been entrenched in this world of fighting cancer and doing all of this stuff, and then all of a sudden one day it quit, right? And then nobody, we couldn't talk to anybody that could understand our experience, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, in the nicest possible way, you know. I just recently, like I said, I lost my, my dad. And then three weeks ago, I lost my, my wife's stepdad. And it, it's, it, it's a different level of loss because there's yeah. some, there's some understanding of life lived, right? There's not your entire life that you yeah, missed yeah. out on, right? You, you, you got to at least experience some stuff along the way if we're all lucky. Right. And so there's just a different level of, of understanding. And we're like, I lost a kid. You know, I can't, somebody that lost their mom is like, dude, I totally understand you. And, and I appreciate you, Margaret. You're like, I don't understand you. Like, I get that, yeah, and, and and I've gotten better at it. At first, I was like, "What? Fuck <laughs> you! You don't understand shit, right?" Like, and then I know a lot of people coming back from the military. I I start to I can't understand them, but I can start to empathize what they maybe feel with after they come out of theater, right? They've been in Iraq, they've been in Kuwait, they've been wherever they are in this world, fighting wars, shooting at people, getting shot at by people in the trenches with their brothers, and then they come back to the United States or wherever they come back to, and they have to go work a job where they sit in an office and 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 don't have this hyper-focused craziness going on all the time. And, yeah. and so I had a small picture of that, right? And, and that whole dealing with the PTSD of, of all of those pieces. And again, we, we nobody can experience what the other people experience. And so I'd never want to say that I am. But I kind of got a glimpse into the, the lack of understanding that the rest of the world sees for every type of person, not just the military people, not just the people coming out of our fights, but all these other people are getting out of their own shit that nobody else can understand on their own, their own box in their own worlds. Yeah. And they don't exactly. talk about it. Right. And they just, they, unfortunately <clears throat> bad things only happen when you don't talk about stuff. Yeah. It's because we don't ask enough questions and that that's the thing we, we learn, you know, we learn job interviews and things that, you know, where we ask probing questions, we, we right. learn. That. So why, why can't we take that as adults into life? And you, you ask a probing question, you can know. So if, if I was to see Marco, hopefully on Saturday, and I was to ask him, how are you? And he says, yeah, I'm okay. You would know if there's if there's something behind the eyes, right. you would know. Right. So rather than just doing the typical thing, okay, cool, and moving on, you ask a probing question, like, are you sure? Like, what's going on? And you start to build a bit of, bit of not trust, it's more a bit of a backstory. And then you, mm-hmm. then you start digging in. Then you start seeing that person open up. And that's what we found on these podcasts is, you know, a lot of people will start off and sometimes quite reserved. Right. But then, then they start understanding. And actually, like Marco and myself, we, we, we do care. We do give a shit. We do ask mm-hmm. the questions because we care. And right. we want to know people's stories because we care. They matter. Pick up on that. And it's the empathy part. People pick up human nature. You go, oh, wow, okay. Somebody wants to listen. They want to listen. Right, and that's the part you've got to. You've got to ask the probing. You've got to ask the probing questions. So I think you have to have somebody it. like Marco, and I think you guys have to have people like that in your lives, right? Like you guys have each other. Um, you know, I have my buddy, my buddy Matt, and you know, every Wednesday, which we, we try every Wednesday to get on a one-hour call together and and just catch up. How's your work going? How's your work going? Awesome. Now, how's life? Right, and and go through those things. And he he's he's been a friend of mine for twenty years, so he definitely was along with us during the journey and. Um, he, he knows all of the pieces, right? So he, we can have that deeper conversation, but you know, I, you can't, you can't do it like our dads did, right? It, 
one of the things like, especially talking about dad stuff is I had a moment the other day where I realized my dad never went to school to be a dad. And, and, and I blame, and I blamed him for stuff, right. That, that I'm a son. Dad did things wrong. I, I couldn't be wrong. It was dad's fault. And so, you know, you, you grow up and you're like, well, if dad would have done this, I'd be a better person. Well, <laughs> screw that. Right. Like did dad kept me fed. Yeah. Did dad take me on vacation? Yeah. Did dad do the best he can to impart the wisdom that he learned from his dad that was barely there? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a dad now. Right. And, and the first thing I, I, I saw this early on, I was holding Cole in my arms when he was a, you know, just a little guy and uh, he's a little baby. And I literally looked up and said, all I can do is fuck this kid up. Like <laughs> my, my goal is to fuck him up as least as I can. And that was literally been my goal my entire life for my son, right? Like our, our goals for him is be able to do math, be able to read, be able to, you know, learn and don't be an asshole. Like if you can achieve those things in life, dude, I am the proudest dad in the world and anything and yeah. above that is just gravy, right? So I think that we have to, as guys, have other guys in our world where we can speak those moments to, where we, yeah. we're willing, you know, I'm obviously, like you said, you have to tease out some of this from other people and I just blow up. Um, you know, there's, there's other people that, that don't, and you need, they need that teasing out, right. They need that, that conversation to, to bring those conversations, to ask those deeper questions. And, and I think in a society that we don't do that as dudes. And I think that we, we have 100%. to, and, yeah. and, and, and I mean, that's a reason for conflicts and wars because we can't communicate. We can't simply have a conversation empathize with the other side and find a meet in the middle or, or at least impart wisdom. You know, one of the other guys that I love to talk to, you know, he's, He's a vegetarian. He's Hindu. He's he's you know all, all these other other um, beliefs and, and structures of life different from me, and I love that because every time we talk, he has a completely different view of something, yeah. and I have the yeah. opposite view of what he has, and we can listen to each other. And yeah. okay, so we agree some stuff's wrong, but should I take away some learning every time we have a conversation? And and I think yeah. that we just have to have more of those conversations and and, and as a world. But so many people surround themselves with, with echo chambers, don't they? Like they, they yes. just, they just want to hear what they want to hear. They like, they don't. A lot of people don't like being told no. Well, that's not right. That's wrong. Right. They, you, oh, it's blue. Yeah, it's blue. Yeah, it's blue. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that, people just right. people live in people live in that world where everything. They, like we we did. I did this test a while back. Well, I spoke to you about this on the podcast, AD. I, I remember I went to the pub with a friend a while back and. We were men are on autopilot, right? We go, Are you right, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, cool. What, what do you want to drink? Like, I'm so that's the intro in it at the pub when you meet guys. Yeah. Hey, mate, how are you doing? You're oh, all right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's no, we're not asking, Are you all right? It's just that's right. what you say, right? So, what I went to the pub and one of the lads went, Hey, mate, how are you doing? You're all right. And I went, No, mate, uh, I'm not actually. And he went, oh, well, What can I get you? Right, like, right. He's like, like that. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was like, did you not hear like what I said? Like, there was nothing wrong. I was just testing like, yeah, yeah, exactly. like what, what the response would be. But yeah, just didn't hear it. Just didn't hear right. it. Completely shut us. Boom. Gone. Back to the bar. Or, or if he did hear it, he knew if he got you a beer, he wouldn't have to deal with it. Right. Yeah. A board. Yeah. A board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but wait, but, we, go on. Sorry. You know, I was, I was going to say that, but you know, looking back at me, I was that guy. Like, you know, right. I, I've 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 managed I've run my own business now, but I've managed sales teams for the last fifteen years, and I've had girls that would be in tears, or even guys would be in tears, and I'd be the kind of guy that when someone's crying, I'm like, 
are you all right? Like, yeah. you know, like no, and it's, it's, it's through learning and speaking to people and reading and experiencing stuff myself that I've learned to be empathetic and understand and ask questions and see if people are right and ask. So, so I've learned that, but you have to be willing to learn that. Otherwise right. you're just going to be, you'll sit on your soapbox and carry on as you are. Do you know what? It's, um, it's quite funny, right? So, uh, I can remember once, as 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 humans, we always look to somebody to blame. That that's always. If, if something goes wrong, we we want to blame somebody straight away. There's no, oh, hang on, what happened? It's no, it was your fault, her fault, whatever. And I remember once, I, I got absolutely destroyed. I was in the military. I was talking to my boss, and uh, he said about some something had been done wrong. So I used to work in like um, fast jet operations and things, and was planning this route, and. I messed up. I, I messed up. I, I was planning some different route, basically my own bloody route. And um, I remember my boss calling me in and he sat me down. It was all nicey, nicey. And I thought, something's not right here. Like, for starters, you never call me by my first name. So I'm being led into a trap. And then he goes, oh, so what happened with this uh, this planning? Who did that? Because what a mess. And he was like, but it's all right. We, we fixed it. There's nothing going to come of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I was like, yeah, it was actually, and I looked out the window, and I was like, oh, it was him. And I pointed. Oh. So my boss said, hang on, just stand where you are. I was like, right. And I put my hand down. He goes, no, put your hand back up. I was like, right, okay. And he goes, right, so you're pointing at him. I was like, yeah. He goes, but you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Mm, that's always a good one. And I went, oh. And he goes, after after I got a bit of a bollocking, we, we call it character building. Sure, um, sure. He said, if you're ever going to point at somebody – don't point. Give it the knife hand because they're everything. <laughs> <is pointing out. laughs> and I was like, I like that. So even if you are trying to blame somebody, don't point. Just give it the knife. <laughs> it was all them. Yeah. But it's, it's that reality of we always look for someone else to blame. I knew I I'd messed yeah. up. I knew that. And I was like, as soon as I seen this sort of nice side of him, and he was like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, we, we've done it. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Right. Okay. Well, it was him. Right. Actually, in my head, I'm going, you dickhead. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you get that little the little devil and angel, don't you? Yeah. He's going, Absolutely. Yeah, go on, drop him in it, drop him in it. And the other guy's going, you're going to regret so, it. It's so true, like, bl- blaming. Like, I, we talked about this the other day, Eddie, but like, so we did a podcast the other day, and one of the first things the guy said to me, do you remember Steve Young? Um, yeah, yeah. Where, where he was like, you should have been a footballer, you should have been. Yeah. And like, I, so I was a good football player as a, as a young kid, and I didn't make it. Uh, and now if you for the last 10 years if you'd asked me why I didn't make it I'd have always said I got injured I broke my leg you know this just didn't work out or it and it was never my fault and and it was me like the truth of the matter is I didn't work hard enough I didn't have the right attitude it was me but for right. so long I just blamed everybody else it was somebody else's fault it was never my fault and that that was a story I've ran with for 10 years oh it was because of this because of that well actually it was me how happy, how happy and content are you? More happy and content when you accept oh, yeah. and you go, yeah, I wasn't, actually, I wasn't good I enough. move on from that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wasn't good enough. That's the truth. Right, yeah. It. It's, all, it's all about acceptance, right? Like, I think that, again, it goes back to all of my stuff where I, I, you know, I had to actually proactively get to the point where I had to be okay with all the decisions we made along the way, right? Because in the end, my daughter died. So I failed her. So, right, right, that's that's the first picture you get, though, right? Like, you're yeah. in this moment of like, okay, well, what did I do wrong? How did how did this result end, right? And the reality is there's 
to my knowledge in the world, nothing that could have been done, right? There's, there's no single medicine that could have solved the problem in that season of time, right? In the next five years. Absolutely. Unfortunately, those aren't the years we lived in. And I had to make some really hard calls along the way. And if I had made that call or this call, would things be different? You know, and, and so that's where I've gotten to the idea of every decision I made the right away was the right decision. And, yeah. and it was it was never wrong. And, and I didn't fail it. Right. But it's it's taking acceptance of mm. every decision you've ever made. And I've made a lot of bad decisions um, mm. and being OK with those. You know, and again, uh, Victor Frankl, he talks about a lot of the stuff and what a lot of the people did after they got out of the concentration camps. And the uh, the level of like all of a sudden they're like, well, screw it. The world sucks. I have no morality. I don't have to I don't have to adhere to anybody's morality or integrity standards. And they went off the deep end on the craziness. And and I could see myself doing that sometimes, too. Right. Like the world has wronged me. I'm going to wrong the world. What do I care? It, can, it already yeah. took everything it can take from me. Like, what do I have left to give? Right. And so I had those moments where I'm like. Fuck this world. I'm, you know, I'm just going to ravage it for everything it's worth, you know? And, uh, you know, I got my moments where I'm like, I'm going to go be a millionaire and I'm just going to take this world by storm. And, and I truly think I still could be a millionaire if I wanted to be, but I don't know if I want to put in that amount of effort and miss the years that I get to spend with my kid. Because what I've seen now is not being able to spend time with my daughter or not being able to see my dad yeah. after he passed makes me cherish those moments with my father-in-law that, you know, or maybe I wasn't wanting to hang out with him today, but He's here and my dad's not. Yeah. Cole's here and my daughter's not. So I have to spend, in my mind, to keep my sanity, more time with him and definitely intentional deep time with him just to make sure that because I would have I would have wanted that if my daughter was here. Yeah. My son that is. And so it's it's taking those intentional moments and really taking the time to enjoy them while I can, because there's one thing that all of us are guaranteed we're gonna lose our kids. Because they're going to become adults. Yeah. And we might not like them, but we like them <laughs> for the most part right now, right? right and right. so we, we can tell them what to do and we can create their personalities to some degree right now. And we can decide, hey, let's go kart racing. I don't want to go kart racing. I don't care. We're going kart racing. Get in yeah. the car. We're going. And we're going to have a blast. And later on, he says, I'm glad you made me do that, Dad. Thank you. And, and I think that we, we have to do those things. And so I, I think it's just very important to be intentional and where we spend our times and, and, and take acceptance for all of those things. And yeah, we I have think that's to, where I was going with that. We have to live for the moment, don't we? We have to, we, we spoke about it before. Time is one thing we can control what we do with. We can control where we spend our time and how we spend our time. Yeah. We really can. So we, that, that's something you can control. We, we talk about controllables and, you know, the Suguru, and he talks about a lot of the controllables in life. And We're right. I read one one thing he said um, was about the nose, and uh, if you don't brush your teeth for a week, like you can smell it, it's there. Right. But no one, no one's going to tell you. Like no one's going to say to you about anything like that. It's your nose is telling you. So it's about listening, listening to yourself, listening to your body. So listening to yourself, you know you've got time. So spend your time with with your son, with your dad, with with whoever. But it's about having that quality time over quantity of just being there because if you're just sat in a room you're not really in, uh, interacting that's not that's not time well spent you know you might never get right. that back it's We've, intentional time it's intentional exactly. time man. it, it has to be dedicated on purpose time you have to be focused on them you can't be just both sitting there on your phone and say i hung out with my kid today because you truly didn't like put your devices down go outside and kick a ball go outside and throw a ball go swim and, and just talk 
the you saddest believe thing, they, they will talk nonstop. You can't shut them oh. up. The saddest Amazing. thing, though, is so many people, so many people do just sit there on on their their, their phones and tablets and think that's enough. Think mm-hmm. that that's them spending time. So especially single books. So I'm a single parent. When I have my son, and I, I haven't, I haven't quite a lot. So when I have my son, my time is focused on him. Like I'm, I'm right. very rarely near my laptop or my phone. Like they're, they're, that's it. And there'll be times where he's actually sat on his tablet, and I'm going, I'm, I'm poking him. I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go do something. Like hurry up. That's finish. awesome. And then you're doing that, man. But you think roles reserve, uh, reverse, don't you? Because it should be the other way. <laughs> it should be the other way around. I've, I've had a tough day at work. I want to sit here and just relax. I can't relax when I've got him because right. it's wasted time. I cherish because I work away quite a lot. So mm. the time I'm back here, I want to be with Dexter all the time. Right. I'm single because of that, because I don't want to devote and dedicate any time to, to anyone. I've well, and again, we have a long life, right? Like this is the season. And then that's why like, I was saying, like I could go, like I read all the books, right? Like be obsessed to be average or, yeah. um, you know, all the things, or even like, um, oh, what's his name? The freaking Green Beret guy, the Navy SEAL guy, Goggins. Oh, um, yeah. Goggins. yeah. 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 David, David, David Goggins. Yeah. You yeah. read his book or listen to him. And man, that, that dude, he shows what's humanly possible. He also shows what you shouldn't do. <laughs> and in regards to like putting your body through stuff, right? Like I'm not willing yeah. to spend that amount of time to do those things in, in, now. But that yeah. doesn't mean that I can't do them when he's an adult and gone to college. It doesn't yeah. mean that I can't go start my business or write a book or, or travel around the world without him when he's off raising his own family, you yeah. know, and, and you know, something like that will probably come along. But for right now, he's what's important to me. It's, it's not spending those extra time on the other stuff. Right. And, yeah. and I think that that's where we sometimes miss in in what we're trying to do and, and again we're all gonna lose our kids I, I lost my daughter early and i didn't get to spend a lot of formal years and it wasn't up to me i didn't lose my son and but he is gonna grow up yeah and these years are the most special years the most important years as a parent for bringing your kid but they're also the most special years for us we yeah. only get to be a parent to a little kid for for so short and right now he's four so you have these amazing seasons and you have these very difficult times that you think are so hard. And then you'll get to the next point. And, and you know, I always said, you know, like, does it ever get like, is it, it like, it, it's always good. Right. And then the next season he gets a little bit older and he can do a little bit more stuff and you get to go do something else. That's really cool. Yeah. My son yeah. and I, uh, we competitive drone race together. So yeah. I read we, that in your, your, your message. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one of the hobbies that we can go do together. Right. And that's a fun season in life. You know, it's an excuse that I can buy parts for myself. Hey babe. <laughs> Me and the son are going to go race this weekend. Got to buy new parts. Um, it doesn't work as well when you're like, hey, I'm going to go race and you and the kid can do something. But it's, yeah, yeah. it's a great excuse, by the way. Use it when you need to. Um, but it's, it's just a, it's a fun time that you have to make sure you spend this time in. And, and that's one of the things that I've also gleaned. Again, you have to find the things in the shit that, that apply to, to, the, to the life that you still live. It's bigger picture. You know? it's bigger picture. It's hard yeah. to see yeah. that at times. It's very hard to see bigger picture. Um, I, think, I think everyone's been through something where you think, um, you know, there's there's no light at the end of this. You think right. this, this is it. But through the experience and through lessons learned and a life lived, you you go, hang on, bigger picture here. Like, wh- what's, what's important? Like, but as it humans, important? it's hard, right? Where our brains aren't wired for that. Our brains are wired to exist, right? Like Maslow's law, all the things to... 
they continue to exist. Do I have shelter? Am I fed? And now, now what's the now, right? Yeah. Like, is it, is it, what's the driver, sex or food? Or like, you know, like that's, that's the human lizard yeah. brain part of us that's like in tune to all of those things. And then to try to like use the evolved brain and grasp that bigger picture of the world. You know, I, again, I think that that's what our world struggles with. It's why you we have, it's why we have all these conflicts is that because we just can't see that bigger picture, but exactly. we have to have what that finite stuff is for us. Right. And that has to be what's important to us. And yeah. then we have to find whatever our truths are. And I think that, you know, and Michonne, who, who leads Mind Valley, wrote the book, uh, The Code for the Extraordinary Minds. And, and he really talks about breaking down all the beliefs that we have and in, in understandings of why we believe what we believe, right? So I've written my own truths. I believe in certain things because I believe in them. Not because yeah. I was born in the United States, which is 90% or whatever percentage, probably less than that now, but whatever percentage Christian. I became a Christian because my mom was Catholic, because my mom was a Catholic and I was told to be a Catholic and I was told to believe in Jesus. Well, if I was born in Saudi Arabia, that wouldn't have been the case, most likely. I mean, there's small exceptions, but most likely yeah. not, right? And so why do I believe what I believe? Is it because that's what it is? Or is that what I truly believe? Yeah. You know, if people like, you know, he talks about not being able to eat meat because Hindus don't eat meat. Well, my mom, well, all kinds of reasons. Well, I want to eat meat. So like understanding what those truths are to me and then you know, as, as humans, we put cause to chaos, right? Yeah. Another book from fast or thinking fast and slow is we have to have a cause to the chaos. We have to have a reason for the, for the thing, right? We, we had to have been developed from some mightier being. And I'm not saying anything's wrong. And I'm not saying I know any of these pieces. I'm just saying that there's a, a larger understanding that we have to understand about why we believe what we believe as an individual, right? Yeah. And I think that there's huge benefits to churches. I think there's huge benefits to religions i think that you know there's been a, a ton of good there's been a ton of bad when you look at those things but really what does it boil down for me am i a vegetarian because i don't want to eat meat i eat meat by the way i, I raise my own <laughs> um but am i that because of that or am i that because i want everybody i want to tell everybody i'm a vegetarian right yeah, those types of things so what are my own truths what do i believe again going back to the root of if it doesn't hurt me and it doesn't hurt anybody else Awesome. And it's the same for everybody else. Like, believe what you want to believe. Live how you want to live. Just live with kindness and empathy. And, and this world can be such a better place. It's uh, that, and is that so hard? Like, It's not hard really, at all. Yeah, it's not so exactly. hard. We, we did a podcast the other day and we were talking about, um, so we, we do the, these sort of chats, like, you know, a little bit more serious. And we what, normally once a week, we do like a, just a chat about what's going on in the world, like local. Right, right. And we were, Every week we seem to be talking about a war in the Middle East, a war in Asia, you know, a war somewhere. We're talking about conflict all over the place. And we were just like, can people just not be happy with what they've got and yeah. just well, get on with life? All of those wars or all of those people that have been told to believe what they believe that yeah. are standing so hard and flexible on that and won't listen. And so mm -hmm. there's this level of empathy that doesn't exist, right? So that everybody can understand everybody else's strife. So, mm. so that we can get along together, yeah. right? Like it, that's the missing piece, man. And it's, uh, you're right. It's, it's not hard. It really isn't. And I, I think the more we can open our eyes to that, the, the better we can all be. It yeah. takes more energy to hate than it does oh. to love. It, takes, it consumes you. There's a, there's yeah, American, it takes there's an American. effort to love. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Easy to, it's, easy, it's easy to hate. Yeah. There's an American comedian. I forget who he was, but he talks about, he was like, why? It's like, why? He's talking about going to sign up to go and fight in the Middle East. And he's like, what? Like, why? Like, he's like, why do I hate these people just because they dropped out of their mother's fanny in the Middle East? <laughs> like, <laughs> if they'd have dropped out in America, 
so we'll be fine. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's all those truths, right? So going through that book is really interesting. He actually gives you a warning in the beginning. He's like, just so you know, if you read this book, you might be- not believe the same things you believe in the end. You might not have the same relationship what, you have in the end. This? Which book's this? Uh, the, the Code for the Extraordinary Minds. I've got such, since doing this, I've got a list of books that I've, oh, that I've got to so, do. That's amazing. So I've been dying to ask for the right, I was r- looking for the right moment to ask this. What's your favorite book? <sighs> I think the one I'm reading at the moment, and it's I, always the one you're reading at the moment. Uh, by the way. Yeah, Ariel hates this because I always talk about this book at the moment, and it's it's this the science of positive self talk. I like that. And oh, it's so good! Like it, it's just, <laughs> it, it's just it's it's about you know how you have this internal you have these internal voices in your head. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know. <clears throat> when you do something stupid, you're like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Stupid. You're so stupid. Like, and, it's, and it's about listening to that internal voice. And if you listen to those negative thoughts, you will just, it will allow you to drag yourself down and down and down. And it's about pinpointing the positive thoughts and the negative mm-hmm. thoughts and taking those positive. Like, if you say it in your head, it will happen. Like, like, I talk, if you continue I talk, to say something long enough, it's, it's going to become your own truth, right? So well, the lies we tell ourselves about yeah. the bad stuff, it's going to become the bad stuff. It's yeah. That's a large component of that ego piece though, right? It's all ego. Yeah. Well, I, t- I talk about it in, like, you know, sp- in sports, you know, I, I, I think, so I, we, I now play a, a very low level of amateur football and awesome. Awesome. like, it's actually vets. So like, I'm 36 now. So we qualify for the vets, the vets teams, the over 35, basically. That's a, that's a good day, right? You're like, oh, yeah. I'm playing with them now. Yeah. And then you got to, then you got to relook at it and be like, I'm the youngest one on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what? Like I, I, I hadn't played in, in, in a long time and I, and I started the first season. I, I, stru- I struggled like, and I was, but I was like, oh, I haven't done that right. Or that button touch is wrong. And I just, I was listening before I read this book. This was, and I was listening to all those on the pitch. And if you start listening to negativity in your head once you're playing sports, they just it just carries on. It's it's a self fulfilling prophecy that you just keep keep reliving. And then I started reading this book, and I went into the second season, and I would just go on the pitch, and I tell myself. I'm the best player on this pitch. I'm, I'm the best. I, 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 it's not like I'm sat there thinking it, but I'm just, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh. <laughs> oh, you got bored. <laughs> yeah, he's the best player. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Self-proclaimed. Look at him. <laughs> uh, there he is. There he is. Oh. Oh, <laughs> you were like, you were all great timing. Great timing. Listen, yeah. idiot. <laughs> uh, but no, no, no. So I was just saying that. So I, I, I go on telling myself, you know, I'm, I'm good. That looks good. And I'm just blocking out all that negativity. And yep. the season that I've just had was, oh, it's like 200% better than the season before. Absolutely. And the only thing that's changed is the way I think about performing. And it's just, I'm just free reading that book and listening to the positivity and the positive thoughts. It works. So I, I went on a course once. I used to, so way back in the day, I used to work in hospitality. And this guy was like this, this, this like uh, trainer. He was he he said, even if you're having a bad day, when you go over to the table, as you're walking up to the table, say in your head over and over again, "I really like you, I really like you." And then when you get to the table, you'll be smiling, you'll be happy, and the way you interact with these people will be so much better than without saying that. It, it so works. It really does. Well, it kicks off all those neurochemicals too, right? Like you're getting all the, the dopamines and you're getting all these other things that get, excite you and make you in the right direction. 
And then there's yeah. the whole aspect of, uh, you know, how ego is there to protect us, right? If you think about our primal brains and our evolved, you know, then to the evolved brain, but you go back to the primal days of like us trying to not get killed by a lion as we walk through the forest, like those yeah. primal days, like we were designed to like protect ourselves. So mm -hmm. ego talks us down in a way to keep us from going out on the limb in a way that, that, that doesn't preserve us anyways, right? So like by us having that, we have to overcome that with the evolved brain and be like, you know what? No. I'm going to say all these positive things to myself. I'm going to put myself in this space. And then that's when you, then you get all those kicks of those, uh, those neurochemicals behind you that get you into that state and they give you that, that other experience, which is awesome. Right. So all those pieces go together and you see how yeah. positive self talk is awesome. So that's a good one. What about you, Addy? What's, what's your favorite book, man? So the, <laughs> my favorite book is I actually keep it. This isn't prepared. So anyone listening, this isn't prepared. I dig it. So I actually keep it in here. So I don't know if you've ever read that one, Marco. No, I was. I, I, I was it's just the same line, though. Yeah, Sorry. I was wondering if you were going to pick up the thingy of Avalon book that no. you've got on your desk. <laughs> no, this one. Yeah, so it's that one. And it, Zero it, negativity. Yeah. yeah, and it's so he, he's done a couple of books, um, and, and this one it's so good. It's he, he talks about you know he's he's like an alpha male. He's you know ex SAS and he's been through so much shit. Um, but the way he breaks it down and it, it does make you think about stuff about right. the, about having zero ne negativity about any situation like if you're in a bad situation there is something to come out of right. that whether it's good for you or good for the situation or that person there is something good to come out of every situation right. I and mean, that's and, what we talked about today right yeah and if anything it's a learning you know mm -hmm. it's a there's there's nothing there nothing in life is is actually there to break you it, it tests you 100% tests you but you become strong you learn from it and you start thinking you change your way of thinking um and this, that's exactly what this book has done and i i keep it there well you're the, you're the sum of all your parts right yeah. so whatever's right. happened to you in the past makes you who you are today like i i always say you know i've no regrets like i have no regrets of anything that i've done in my life and i've said this before like, i've done some stupid shit i really really have, we all have. yeah dudes. But, but i don't do i regret it no because it's made me the person i am today i've lived through those experiences and i've done some things that you go yeah i can't do that again like i'd never do that again and i'll make sure that whoever's around me will never do that again yeah. so i'm you know today a better person for doing that stupid thing so yeah, yeah no regrets. No regrets I'm, I'm I'm the king of stupid, so absolutely. I've definitely <laughs> become a much better person for that without a doubt. <laughs> I think it's funny that you guys are both reading, like you're both your favorite books were about positivity, right? His was zero negative, so no negative, and yours was all positive all positivity, which is a different yeah. way of saying the same thing, right? And so yeah. Yeah. all the stuff that we can learn from those pieces is, is super important. And yeah, books are amazing, man. I think Victor Frankel's uh Man Search for Meaning is probably the the number one book for me. Um just, just because um I just got that on audio. It, audio it is, it's a really audio old book. book, right? But yet it's so true. Like we, we don't really change um, as humans. Like I said before, we, we all think we're unique, but we're not. Um, and, and I think that understanding those fundamental pieces of, for me, like I just had to know, why do I feel what I feel, right? And like, why is this loss so huge? And then yeah. part of it, we just, we have to have a reason, right? It goes back to that. Um, you have to have a cause to the chaos, you know, something to where like people will be like, Oh, all things happen for a reason. Oh, so my daughter died for a reason. Oh, well, not all things have to happen for a reason then. Right. Okay. Let's just, let's just agree to agree on that one. 
And so like, there's, there's cause, you know, people put casualty to chaos. And so, you know, there's all those pieces you put together. Um, but I got lost. Um, but Victor Frankl really like helped me get through a lot of those things. And then I understood really like, why do I feel what I feel? And like the preservation of life at, at a raw, lower primal level is what I think all parents want, right? Like the biggest, scariest thing in the world is for your kid to get sick or in that moment where, you know, Addy, you jumped in and you're like, you will not hurt my kid. You're doctor. You will be nice. Right. Like that's just a, it's, it's an instinctual raw yeah. nature on the, on the, on the lizard side of the brain. That's like fight or flight. I'm going to go fight right now. And, and I needed to understand like, why did that hurt so much? Right. Like losing my dad hurt and I, and I loved him and I miss him, but it didn't hurt like losing my daughter at all. Right. And, and, and part of that was because I had just gone through so much loss. Like I was so scarred to it. Right. Scar tissue was so hard to get through when they operate on you again mm. for that reason. Right. But, like my, my emotional cocoon is very yeah. scarred, right? Like I, I don't have the same feelings that other people have, right? Like they're all blown up and I'm like, what's your problem? Yeah. You know, it, it, but I try to empathize with them. So I, I've, I've, that's, that's actually within the last six months. Prior to that, I was just like, I don't understand why you guys are all wimps. Yeah. But now I actually try to empathize with them and then I get it a little bit better. Um, but yeah. I think that, you know, just understanding like why we feel those feelings is, is key to me. And I think like all the stuff you guys are reading, why positivity works. Well, why does it really work? You know, and, and I want to understand more and more and more of that stuff. Like why, why, when you yeah. go on vacation, is it the most best moment ever? Hedonic adaptation, right? And like breaking the hedonic cycle of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you go on vacation and, oh my God, it was amazing. And you come back to work and you're like, my life's still sad. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you do things to break the hedonic cycle every single day, all of a sudden yeah. your life doesn't suck so bad anymore, right? Like you, you add football or you add, you know, going for a walk with your son that you haven't been doing. And, and then all of a sudden life feels amazing. They talked about like someone eating popcorn regularly. You know, these kids are like, oh, it's just popcorn, but they gave them chopsticks and like a huge percentage of them just ate it all up because they were excited just because they added chopsticks to it. Right. So they, they, they changed the hedonic cycle. And so just by understanding more and more of those pieces, it just, it makes me appreciate my life more. It helps me um, try to lead my son better. It tries to help me lead my family better. And it just tries to make me be a better person and appreciate the world and, and not just, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a American, I'm, a, you know, a European, like we're all just people on this earth together and we just happen to be alive at the same time. And if we could just harness the love that's between all of those people that, that, that are born today and, and die today, right? And that's, that's really the scale of our existence. Is there was somebody born today and a lot of people born today and a lot of people that died today and, and somewhere in between we get to live today and, and it's how we live that day and it's how we live that day together where we can, but also celebrating our uniqueness and, and pulling everybody together in, in our, in our unity. And, uh, and I just, the more I read, the more I understand the brain, the more I, I just, that message just keeps ringing. All right. What a, what a beautiful way to end it. A beautiful note to end yeah. it on. Um, Thank you guys. Scenario- I listen, really enjoyed that. We normally do this for an hour. We've we gone yeah. on for, for two. For we went two. A, bit, we went a bit long today, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, no, but no, that's testament to the conversation, I think. You yeah. get a sales um, guy on the phone, you can't make him stop. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, need to check my account, see what I've brought. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your story with us. I'm going to read your, I'm definitely going to read your blog. It, it reminded me of um, the, the Fatherhood movie. Have you seen the Fatherhood movie? I don't think I have. 
No, so that that's um, Math, Matthew Loglin, I think the guy's called, and so it's a it's a what's his what's his name the the actor Kevin, the, Hart. Kevin Hart. So Kevin Hart plays it, but it's Matthew oh, Loglin. Yeah, but he's it's, it's a really good film, but it's about a guy who starts a blog when his wife was going through. Uh, I can't remember what she was going through, but she dies literally days after giving birth, and he becomes. The father, so he blogged through all that illness and stuff. So it reminded me of awesome. it, it. Reminded me of that. So I'm going to definitely going to give that a read. It's a hard read, man. No, I imagine. So, I imagine someday, it. someday I got to figure out a way to make it into a book. Um, I'm not like I said, I'm not a writer. Um, and, and a, I want to combine the story and I want to combine the takeaways. Um, you know, into into some messages that I hope will resonate. And you know, again, why you started the blog and why everyone starts one is uh, hopefully it will help one person. And if it helps more, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, incredible. And again, echo what Marcus said. Thank you so much for for sharing, sharing all of that. And um, yeah, you've you definitely inspired inspired some thinking uh, in myself. Um, Thank you for how how I'm currently living life and uh, what I'm doing and the things that I'm sort of holding on to, which I probably shouldn't hold on to. And yeah, so really appreciate that. And thank you for your time. All two hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and thanks, thanks for doing what you guys do, right? To like, you know, maybe my my conversation gets one person thinking, or just you guys thinking, right? And and, and that in itself is worth it. I'll have this conversation a thousand times over if the people that talk to me get something out of it, and maybe some that listened it too. Um, but but what you guys do is you're continually doing this, right? You guys are showing up, you're putting in the work, you're doing the editing, you're doing all of the stuff that's behind the scenes, and you know, you mentioned how long it's going to take to get the, the podcast out there, and I know that's not easy. And I appreciate everything that you guys do in regards to that on just a weekly basis and, and just staying true to that. And I think you guys have a great message and you guys have great guests. I've, I've watched a number of them to make sure I wanted to be on before I, before I came on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, they've all gone really well. And uh, so just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. No, appreciate Thanks that. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks guys. Sarah.